After nearly four years of investigation, Special Counsel John Durham found the FBI lacked actual evidence to investigate then-candidate Donald Trump's campaign in 2016. Durham said the Bureau was too reliant on investigative leads provided or funded by Trump's political opponents. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome we back to the Ruthless Variety program, a momentous week in the history of the program fellas huge i mean there's just 500 huge pieces of news we're gonna go through yeah tons of news tons of but most importantly we like to talk about ourselves that's right and ourself is the most important news it's it's huge and we've been we've been telling folks i think it was last week we teased we're gonna have a exciting announcement well here it is we're gonna have an exciting couple of announcements the biggest announcement is we have hired the wolf Ah, Lee Wolf, the new executive producer of the Ruthless Variety program. Welcome, pal. Welcome. Thank you very much. It is great to be here with you guys. Well, you know, after, uh, well, we've had uh, many fuck-ups over the world, over the years. And over the world. And over the world. (laughs) And over the world. Um, But we had one notable one uh, several months ago where we realized we needed professional help. Like real professional help. Somebody who actually knows what they're doing. And so we cast a wide net, didn't we, Michael? We did. We cast, it, we cast a very wide net. We cast a, a wide net. We got over a, a hundred resumes for this position. And, um, you know, the cream rises to the top. What can I say? Yeah. So and, we, and, and, and look, uh, expectations are high. Not as high as Dick Wolf in Law & Order, which you heard there in the audio, <laughs> but pretty high. Who is the, do, we have, do we know the minion that put that one out? That was just classic. Who, who, who was that? It was, that was Dave Vasquez. <clears throat> oh, excellent press secretary for Senator Ted Cruz. Oh, wow. excellent. it excellent. crossed out the the dick and put in the lead. And for those of you who are like uh, familiar with the show Law and Order, the end of it, which classic refrain going into it, but the end of it, it just flashes up Dick Wolf, producer, <laughs> and they crossed out Dick and put in Lee. And here I am. And that's and our here producer. You, and here and, you and are. I, I want for all our listeners, raise your expectations as high as possible. Yes. And I'm not I mean, not even just as a joke or a troll, because I am fully confident Lee is gonna overshoot anything you can anticipate. You're gonna be having come from the Ruthless Variety program. I mean, there's gonna be so much exciting stuff coming. I cannot wait. Whatever you've imagined in your wildest dreams is now going to come true because of Lee Wolf. That's that's the plan, and I'm looking forward to it. We'll be adding some lovely new capabilities. I don't know how far down that rabbit hole you gentlemen would like to go now, but it's going to be an exciting few months, and I think uh, the listeners and hopefully soon viewers will be very happy. Oh, Ooh. we did a little oh, tease. A little tease. A little tease. <laughs> look, he's already he's doing professional teases. Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> look at him. Look at us. Who and look thought? at us. Huh? <laughs> well, okay, so to provide a little more color, here for our audience and of course right now we're just sort of an audio medium so you you don't see what we see what i see uh is that lee has constructed a truss system around where we're recording currently it looks almost like a cage match from the wwe yeah 
Um, it's phenomenal, pal. Yeah. This is becoming a, a, a real outfit. Which yeah. a, a, angry Redskins fan said he wanted to wrestle the shit out of you in here, Duncan. What do you think about that? Well, I'm going to need a folding chair. We're going to we're going to need some barbed wire. <laughs> barbed wire. We yeah. need some barbed wire. Some we need some broken glass. And hell yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, but nice. I but a shotgun. I call Undertaker. I'm Undertaker. <laughs> We'll get the music queued up. So, Lee, a little bit about your background. You're a Marine. Yeah, I uh, grew up in San Francisco, joined the Marines after college, uh, did some some battle royale at the SF State back in the day with the Libs, which was a good time. Uh, served in the Marines, did two deployments to Afghanistan, came home, got into talk radio, uh, conservative talk radio, did conservative talk television, moved to D.C., started doing video production, and uh, been on the Hill, been with the committees, Anywhere you can think of, uh, I've done some kind of production or producing for them. And we swiped you from Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> we stole you right out, out from underneath his nose. I mean, I wouldn't rub it in. You got to remember he's the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You got to watch your tongue with that kind That's of right. thing. And we're going to get an encrypted uh, letter here pretty, pretty soon. <laughs> But we've seen your work. Uh, we examined everything that you've done uh, carefully and came to the conclusion that you are the single most qualified person in the entirety of the universe to do this job. And so far, it's working out okay. Third day, we have construction projects completed. We have equipment <laughs> in the building. Yes. The march of progress continues apace. It does continue apace. And well, and one other thing, we also have a new store that we have now rolled out. That's right. Out. It's at the same domain, store.ruthlesspodcast.com, but you're going to find on there uh, a lot more products that you've desired from the program. Many of them you've angrily tweeted at me over <laughs> the last couple years. Um, and so now they're there. Um, a few things I would like to highlight. In so this fact, is wait, ruthless.com and you just go to the store? It Well, you can go to ruthlesspodcast.com and then click the store link. Or you can just directly type store.ruthlesspodcast.com. Send you to the same place. But there's some interesting stuff here in the catalog that... Um, Maybe announcements are in order. Yeah, well, we have a whole section called, um, and thank you for your service, mm -hmm. um, Smug 2024. Yeah, mm. I, I figured I might as well run. <laughs> there's some amazing smug jeb logo merch in here that is absolutely incredible Dude. <laughs> it's really, really i saw the mock-up of this and i could not believe this is real like it's just it's phenomenal this there, is such good stuff <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing is like you know we're finally able to spread our wings this thing is gonna soar yeah we've yeah. got we've got um we got some some different types of merch different styles of merch we got this great a ruthless American flag hat. We ordered that one to the office. I don't know if you saw that one. Oh, I did. It was fantastic. Awesome. It's a fantastic white hat. Great for summer. We got the tanks back. We got some new hoodies. Folks, we got koozies. Oh, yeah. yeah hell we yeah. We got koozies. So look, already putting points on the board. You gotta and you gotta have. I've already ordered like four things. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Lee, thank you for your service, pal. I think you're going to be a regular contributor here, but I know you're going to make this show a better place. We are honored to have you, pal. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it, gents. All right. So we got a couple of guests today, uh, patriotic congressmen in the House of Representatives doing battle on our behalf every single day. They both came in studio to do great interviews uh, Representative Lawler and uh, Representative Balderson, both interviews today. And I think they're both great. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've mentioned it before when we had uh, Mike Lawler on the show when he was a candidate. Now, he got elected, and uh, he's been a friend for, I mean, over a decade now. I respect this guy so much. And I think, you know, when you hear this interview about all the work he's put in over the years, building this grassroots network, putting in the work in the community, this is how you win. And I think he gives such tremendous advice on that aspect, uh, as well as everything else in terms of his start in Congress. It's wonderful. And Balderson is from Ohio, represents one of the biggest districts in the state. It's the only thing I don't like about the guy. Oh, shit. <laughs> 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 he's, he's got a lot to say about energy, but our listeners are going to love what he has to say about animals. If you remember about 10 years ago in the state of Ohio, some guy opened the gate and let out uh, tigers and lions <laughs> and bears all over eastern Ohio. Balderson was instrumental and stopping that from <laughs> happening again, and he talks about it. How do we know that Ashbrook would find a guest from who, Ohio? Yeah, from Ohio who yeah. has animal fighting cred. That, yeah, that is a very specific group in Ashbrook County. <laughs> Let me tell you, he took on Joe the Tiger guy. Do you remember this guy? Yeah, from Tiger Netflix? King. Yeah, yeah, Tiger King. He took him and Carol Baskin on before anybody heard their names. Wow! Mm-hmm. Wow! To stop the animal menace in its tracks, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. Fantastic. Well, listen, I think we always start our Thursday program with five stars. We usually start with the voice. I'm hoping that he has that in front of him. <laughs> uh, this one is from Kevlar5578, and it's titled Near Miss Weightlifting Death. <laughs> <laughs> and he writes, fellas, I've been listening to the program since episode one. As a loyal, smug Twitter follower, I couldn't pass up on the opportunity to finally hear his voice. I remember when Duncan would only make brief cameos for his Duncan with Duncan segment. Oh, those were the days. a real throwback. Yeah. Yeah, those were fun. That was like, um, um, it was like Network. You know, like I, that movie. Well, I can only imagine that the listeners at that point thought that we like gave you an eight ball and sent you to a microphone yeah. Yeah. because <laughs> it was red hot. Well, I mean, we found an angry person. Here's the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's now dispersed. It's diffuse over the course of an hour. Yeah, but it was concentrated hot fire for about ninety seconds back then. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it was the best idea we had. It was the grind our gears segment. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was. Well, Kevlar goes on to write this morning. I was listening to the special Friday episode while doing my morning lift and almost had a weightlifting accident. <laughs> I was mid set of an overhead press when the guys started discussing the infamous cat named Vagina <laughs> from the CNN town hall. Or her cat was named Vagina. <laughs> I laughed so hard I almost dropped a dumbbell on my head. (laughs) Say what you will about Trump, but the dude is hilarious. Thanks for what you're doing, fellas. Hopefully we can get Ronnie D back on the program ASAP. That's Kevin from New York. Oh, Kevin from New York. Thank you so much. That was awesome. You can tell he immediately picks up where we're laying down, right? That's the kind of comedy. I love it. All right, Smug, what do we got? So this is from A.K. Shea. It says, Great Show But is the title. It says, I can't stand the manipulative news industry. I feel you there, man. I listen almost exclusively to Megyn Kelly and the Ruthless program to stay informed about what's happening beyond the borders of the most beautiful state in the union, Alaska. I mean, you got got a case right there. We should do something in Alaska. 100%. Uh, Come to think of it, our local news is terrible as well. 
Your unique perspectives on politics coupled with a down-to-earth back and forth of a couple of guys sitting around shooting the breeze over a beer is a joy to eavesdrop on throughout the week. That is a very accurate description. Yeah. When are you going to go daily? However, I have one criticism. Much as you discuss the need for Biden's handlers to provide him with phonetic pronunciations for even the most basic of English words, allow me to break down Kenai, Alaska for you. Wow. Kenai. Kenai. Yeah. Kenai. I think I screwed that one With some of the best fishing in the state on the Kenai Peninsula, it is important to have that one right. I also feel that your grasp of Alaskan wildlife would be improved with a visit. Think it over. I'm on board. Wait, I 100%. Think, I think the grasp is, is like the bear fighting and stuff that you've talked about. I feel like I feel like they believe that you can't do that. I've been in, I've been to Anchorage. I've been to Skagway. I've been to a couple places, and it is like wait, you've been yeah. You're like a a, a native. Yeah, I mean, you it can is, basically run for mayor. Alaska is gorgeous, just huh. staggeringly beautiful. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go fishing last time I was there, but in Kenai, I, I'm looking forward to some fishing there. Ah, oh, solid. All right, Dunks. What do we got? Well, oh, we got we got more complaints. Whoa. We got more complaints about Alaska. Uh oh. This is from Sax Attacked 07, the Irish Alaskan. Oh. <laughs> he's, hey, he's angry. Hey, Ruthless. <laughs> Just thought you should know that it's pronounced Kinay, <laughs> not Kunai. <laughs> My father is an Irish Alaska native, so I don't think he'd be a fan of the show, <laughs> but I don't mind. <laughs> I'm an Alaskan Oregonian. Who escaped the communist apocalypse of the Northwest for the free pastures of Arizona? Yeah. Thanks for all the laughs and for the killer takes. So I'm confused because he's Irish. His dad wouldn't like it. Well, because remember we we had to we point we out had to Irish counterbalance. Story. Yeah, we had. <laughs> I mean, to, we're Irish for Christ's yeah, sake. Yeah, but we had to counterbalance the anti-Italian bigotry oh. that we had. <laughs> And we did that by insulting another ethnic group. Well, I think the and, Irish. And if I remember, I think that's the key: is you never apologize. You just find another group to attack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like there was one particularly incendiary, incendiary attack where you dealt with the cuisine. Oh, the, the like sad Potatoes. struggle food. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's like these are people who have suffered. Like you can tell a lot from the cuisine. <laughs> the troubles are still going on. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to go to the bar with an Irishman if you're not prepared. Though. Yeah. I can assure you of that. Um, all right. So I think we should start the show with a recap of what happened on Tuesday in the special election that we've been pre- or previewing. It wasn't a special. It was a primary election happening in Kentucky. We've done a couple of interviews. Worth noting, there were three candidates in the Kentucky governor's election that were competitive Mm -hmm. and it was thought to be head-to-head between two of them Mm -hmm. one uh was daniel cameron Mm -hmm. the current attorney general who came on he's been on a couple of times good friend of the program and the other was ryan quarles Mm -hmm. uh who was a a sitting uh ag commissioner and uh he's been a friend for a number of years his first time on the program the third invitation that was extended was to kelly Kraft, who was at that point i think maybe even a front runner for a potential nomination um well-known family she's you know they self-funded to like the tune of 10 million bucks uh daniel came on ryan came on kelly declined Mm. oh no and um no i couldn't help but notice fellas that's that's crazy so our show essentially exists to allow conservatives especially if you're running to have your voice heard yeah that's well, like the purpose here. We give a f- open forum because the media is going to like, if they have a Republican on, they're going to attack the hell out of them. And it turns out we have a pretty 
pretty big audience in Kentucky. Yeah, what was the final order in that race? So Daniel, uh, the sitting AG, Daniel Cameron, who you've all heard here, just an incredibly magnetic personality, uh, a real future of the party type guy, won by like 20 points. I mean, he was going away. He was peaking at the right time uh, and won. With a, and he's gonna, it's going to be a great general election candidate. Ryan Quarles, the guy who was a distant third when we did our interviews, mm-hmm. got second. Mm. Wow. Beat Kelly Craft. That's Beat. the ruthless bump. That's the ruthless bump right I, there. I, w- I would point out he only spent $900,000 and to, Kel- to, Kelly to 10 Kraft, million? Kraft spent $10 million. <laughs> Oh, man. And, and, and you have to say, you know, outstanding work for Quarles to run. It's, I mean, putting your name on a ballot is a huge thing. Takes a lot of courage, outstanding work running, and huge congratulations to Daniel Cameron for that win. Huge, and we're going to stay on this because this is the biggest race that's happening this year. It has a transformative effect, and if you look at a governor like uh, Andy Bashir, A Democrat Kentucky, governor of Kentucky is such an outrage. That's an abomination. It's an abomination, but Democrats look at this guy as though he's uh, sort of a, a just a diamond in the rough, right? And if he were to somehow be reelected, hard to imagine how that guy's not shortlisted for a 28-type mm. campaign. Mm-hmm. But similarly, if, if Daniel Cameron is elected governor of Kentucky, that is a guy you can see. I don't know if he's not going to predict whether he runs for president someday, but he's a guy who could be a face-of-the-party-type guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, go back and watch his speech from the, you know, the convention, the Republican National yeah. Convention perfect example i mean the guy just lights up the tv screen he's incredibly incredibly smart also you know handsome dude yeah handsome, handsome dude gentleman. doesn't doesn't hurt to be a handsome dude you know what also I was <laughs> doesn't say, hurt. i'm just saying is also important to say is a very significant difference between republicans and democrats is we have such a tremendous bench and the talent keeps rolling in you have you have folks like jd vance you've got daniel cameron we keep getting fresh folks on our side carrying the flag forward and meanwhile you see it's like the boneyard for the dems they've got mm. joe biden and then what they're they're looking around for another nine gosh it's such a good point yeah i mean we've had a number of people who have been invested in party building over the years none more so than than uh my former boss mcconnell who basically tried to get really smart talented people invested in the party at a young age and worked their way up to a point where you look at the ticket, look at what happened in Kentucky. You've got Daniel Cameron as the nominee for governor. You've got Russell Coleman, his former general counsel, right. who's his nominee for AG. You will not find a better lawman, mm. like pure old school lawman. Which is what's former needed. former FBI agent injured in the line of duty. Yeah. Injured in the line of duty. But but also just like a committed law and order dude which mm-hmm. honestly is what the fbi could use more of right. no kidding right. no kidding and he's the the ag nominee and then you got a guy like jonathan shell who's a salt salt of the earth uh ag commissioner nominee was who, the campaign chairman who was his campaign chairman in 2020 so there's a whole bunch of stuff happening there that i think a lot of states can look to like we've always talked about <clears throat> iowa for example and the job that kim reynolds has done there mm-hmm. To help facilitate young, ambitious, talented people to come to the fore and become filling offices. They right. got an army. It's like a literal farm system. Right. Like, you of have course to. I would have it. Yeah, it's yeah. a farm system. They they find young activists, they make sure that they have the support they need to win around them, and they keep the ball moving. That's the most important part. And you can't overlook that stuff. 
You really can't over. It's become party building has become quaint in politics, both Republican and Democrat, because it's hard work. It's tough. And it's also not self-aggrandizing. Yep. It's not. It, it, it's inherently not about you because you're getting other people involved. Well, and there's no immediate gratification to it. You're right. talking about a 10-year process. Right. You know. So the people who've done it well, you really got to tip your hat to. Right. Because that is really hard work. We saw in Kentucky, we've seen it in Iowa, revolutionize the state. One thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was very interesting about the Kentucky governor race, the primary specifically, is so Daniel Cameron was endorsed by Trump. Mm. He yep. got the win. DeSantis also endorsed a candidate. The night before. It was the night before the election? The it was Monday night? The night before the election. And look. And I'm, he endorsed Kraft, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have insight into this. I don't. I have no idea. Nobody asked me. What have you. It was very clear going in that Daniel was going to win this thing. Kelly was thought to be a second place finisher. I mean, if you're spending, what, 10, 11 mil of your own money, like, you'd think that would move the needle. Yeah, and, and, and look, I, I've been told that Ron has had a longstanding relationship with Joe Kraft, and maybe that played a, mm. uh, that's Kelly's husband, maybe that played a role in it. But he uh, came timing, off. Like, uh, he came four? off the best weekend mm-hmm. that Ron DeSantis has had right. since Election Day, twenty twenty two. Right. And then on Monday, endorses a candidate that finishes third. Yeah. In right. a primary. Right back in the muck. Yeah. A completely unnecessary error. It was rough. Mm-hmm. I mean, rough. And it could have been avoided. I understand. Look, if the if the bottom line is I stand with my friends through thick and thin, uh, okay, I get it, I get it. I mean, along those lines too. My understanding, this article I read is that Trump even did like I guess a teletown hall for Daniel Cameron, yeah. brought up the whole history of like this is a guy who I could t- count on being a conservative. He had my back. He has my full and complete support. Like that's what an endorsement is like, and like you don't do it the night before. I just think that seems like a like, well, what, what's the listen, listen, the other thing that the Kelly Craft campaign did, and you know, I don't know how involved she was with this, but they tried to get cute and run ads that looked like they were attacking Senator McConnell, and that did not go over well with Kentucky's electorate. Well, it's the first time that's ever been done in a primary in Kentucky, and for a guy who's been the king of Kentucky Republican politics, a little bit of a risky maneuver, kind mm-hmm. of a high wire act. Yeah. And in the end, it clearly cost her because there was a massive, massive change in the last six weeks. She was supposed to be very, very close to Daniel Cameron. It ended up to be 20 points plus behind and then actually finished third. That clearly didn't work. I think if they were to t- look at that now, they would say that was probably not something that we were interested in doing. But again, the Trump, to your point, the one thing that I will say absolutely complimentary of Donald Trump which has been my personal experience is that when he endorses uh, a, a candidate and does work for that candidate, he really does work for that candidate. Mm-hmm. And in this in this situation, he did. Yeah, he did. He endorsed Daniel. You know what? Like six, eight Very months long ago. Time ago. Yeah. Uh, and then and then helped him down the stretch. Which, if again, if you're gonna party build, that's a great example. Yeah. If you're gonna party build, you can't abandon people like that Mm -hmm. and he didn't so look i I don't know what that means in terms of the grand scheme of things in terms of where 
things are happening. I expect Ron DeSantis to announce sometime in the next two weeks, don't you think, Duncan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He kind of has to because he's triggering that disclosure. Yeah. And so that that's going to happen. I think there's going to be all kinds of exciting fireworks and all of this sort of process behind the scenes, who you're endorsing, who you're not endorsing, falls by the wayside because you have a head-to-head battle that we finally deserve. Yeah, I cannot wait because, like, honestly, it's just, to me, tiring at this point of him always giving the – like, he's overseas and he's going to give the answer of, like, well, I haven't announced I'm a candidate yet, so you can't ask me questions. It's like, oh god. I mean, that doesn't on, that doesn't this. bother me ne- nearly as much as like the partisan uh, influencer bickering on Twitter every single day, back and forth. And like, look, totally fine with having all of these arguments. I, I would support love influencer Twitter fights. Look, <laughs> <laughs> all I'm saying is, I would rather I would rather the candidates have those yeah. fights than a bunch of people on the internet. And that's know? the thing is, I think it's gonna be cool. This is going to be like King Kong, Godzilla kind of stuff. And we got the best seat in the house. That's, that's what I'm saying. We got the best seat it's, in the you house. You know, they'll tear the city up. And now we're just going to be we have, calling it on the mic. Now we have the WWE cage here around our studio. Maybe Trump and DeSantis can come in here and have a little death yeah. match. Uh, we, we had a five-star say have Ronnie D in. So we offer this studio as a venue for a no-holds-barred de- Hell in a Cell. <laughs> I love it. And we might be the only ones at this point with a billion dollar campaign that are not on the dole. Yeah. Right? That's and the thing is we're the only we, ones we not remain the one unbiased source. <laughs> we wish chaos upon everyone. <laughs> we love the entertainment. But the reality is it is going to be a fight. It is going to be King Kong versus Godzilla. We spent some time talking about Kentucky and we sort of blew past Iowa. But Ron DeSantis rolled out a very significant list mm-hmm. of endorsements in the state of Iowa on the same time that he went and, and, and Trump did oh, not. Oh, it was un- undoubtedly I mean, the best weekend that he's had since November of 22. And it takes work to put that kind of a list together. It takes con- the confidence of people whose names are on the line to put that kind of a list together. And apparently he's doing more on the you know on the horizon here in New Hampshire. And, so. he's, do- and he's, doing that, he's doing all that through a super PAC before he even announces you know so you have to think once it's an actual real thing there's more momentum there but you know we'll see we'll see we're gonna find out we're gonna cover it closely and hopefully we have uh first person interviews on all of this and maybe hell in a cell yeah, yeah. that's an idea i like that okay <laughs> fellas i hate to rain uh, particularly on your parade uh, this is smug, very disappointing but it turns out an esteemed ivy league university mm-hmm. cornell yeah put out a list of, uh, I guess, what they would characterize as uh, disinformation. Yeah, right-wing uh, misinformation conspiracy theorists. There are 10,000 <laughs> Twitter handles on this list. So there's 10,000 Twitter handles uh, going around conservative Twitter on Monday that seem to show a hit list of conservatives. Yeah, so like Cornell essentially did this study uh, from 2021 called Voter Fraud 2020, a multimodal data set of election fraud claims on Twitter. And they essentially provided this list to Twitter and were like, hey, you got to watch out for these folks. They're telling the conspiracy theories, you know. And, so who's, uh, who's on that? So this is, you know, <laughs> this is the problem when you have these Ivy League coastal elite institutions. They don't understand conservatives. So they put Holmes on the list. They put me on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out you're the cuck. I mean, here's the thing is, I said way more crazy shit. I said way more crazy shit by far. I, I am Merrick I, Garland. If you're listening, it's satire. <laughs> I am. I am very upset. Very upset about this. Um, only because I was not on it. 
Yeah. You know? No, I mean, look, I'm on it. What a badge of honor. Loud and proud. I'm on it. Good for Which you. Which is completely hilarious, by the way, that Cornell would label somebody like me as a disinformation expert. I mean, yeah, but it's sort of like, you know, like when uh, there's sanctions that go on and there's, you know, like China or Russia would have like reciprocity and then they, they name a bunch of people that they're going to put sanctions on. Yeah. Sign of respect. It's a sign of respect. <laughs> it's a sign of respect. <laughs> and so for the list, number one, they said was Donald Trump. Also, a huge shout out, friend of the program, Steve Gessett, number 14. Yeah, nice. I was actually Not very proud, shabby, very proud showing. of Steve. He was most recently at Senator Cruz's office. He worked at the RNC probably when he earned this badge, because I think it was 2021. Yeah, he was out there kicking ass. Where they, where they did it, and he was at the RNC, probably rapid response or something like that. Mm-hmm. He earned the number 14 slot, which yeah. is really something. Yeah, well, he posted things Democrats didn't like, and that's the job that he had and you got to tip the cap to steve (laughs) and so uh you know speaking of disinformation uh i guess it's time we should get into the durham report dude totally and here's the thing apologies to the audience because literally the moment yeah that we closed our show yeah on tuesday they dropped the durham the second we're done recording we're like hey that's a pretty good show yeah because we record it monday night and we get out of the studio and they're like the Durham report just dropped. I was like, ah, oh, uh, son of a. Yeah. Well, but anyway, so we went through the thing. Um, I got to tell you, there are many, many things that troubled me greatly. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of concentration within the conservative side on the lack of tangible evidence to open an investigation that was ultimately called Crossfire Hurricane mm-hmm. on President Trump. I think that leads the way, right? That that's the that's the biggest piece of this is that they open an investigation based upon information that was provided to them by the Hillary Clinton campaign and uncorroborated, in some point even uh, rejected mm-hmm. that that was not not true at all. Right, that they knew was not true, and they and they opened the investigation anyway. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a minute. My view that was the most troubling piece of this came from uh, one of these paragraphs where they're talking within the Durham report about how this information ultimately made its way into the hands of the CIA Mm -hmm. and ultimately the FBI. And my biggest concern here, let me pull this up because I, I want to read this verbatim. I don't want to. I don't want to screw this up. Yeah, I mean, you dropped a banger, dude. I don't want. I don't want to screw this up. So, um, if you remember, the Durham report showed that the Clinton campaign somehow deposited a plan that was trying to link Donald Trump to Russia and Russia disinformation to CIA Director Brennan. Mm-hmm. That is a very big deal to me. I mean, a very big deal to me. What in the world is a CIA director doing at any point interfacing with a political campaign? Ever. Ever. And, and, and taking their opposition research document. It, taking their opposition research document. is like a breach of trust of a intelligence official I don't think we've ever seen before. I mean, when you talk about politicization of the intelligence community... This is it, ground zero, example number one. And 
Brennan now, you know, folks might recognize him as what he's a CNN contributor. Or MSNBC. MSNBC. Yeah. yeah. National security. <laughs> Which goes back to everything that we've been talking about, how these guys yeah. just sort of use their inference of things that you can't know, but I know yeah. about what's happening. You're like a nudge Well, to, you see, I'm yeah. very important, and I've seen all this. Yeah, you got to remember, when stuff. I was at the CIA, yeah. yada, yada, yada. But that's the second worst thing that they did. Here's the first worst. On August 3rd, this is, this is the report itself. On August 3rd, 2016, within days of receiving Clinton plan intelligence, that's what they're shorthanding the oppo. Mm-hmm. The dossier. Uh, the, yeah. Director Brennan, CIA Director Brennan, met with the president, vice president, and other senior administration officials, including but not limited to the attorney general, who participated remotely, and the FBI director in the White House Situation Room to discuss Russian election interference efforts. According to Brennan's handwritten notes and recollections from the meeting, he briefed on relevant intelligence known to the date about Russian election interference, including the Clinton plan intelligence. Specifically, Director Brennan's declassified handwritten notes reflect that he briefed the meeting's participants regarding the, quote, alleged approval by Hillary Clinton on 26 July of a proposal from one of her campaign advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by Russian security services. And he's like, C- he's like, that sounds good. Let me do that too. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, gentlemen, we have evidence that Hillary Clinton is cooking up this crazy bullshit. So let's do so it. So let's help. <laughs> so the reason, I mean, look, if you can get by the fact that anybody, whether it's an FBI director or a CIA director or anyone yeah. is ha- interfacing at all at yeah. any point with a political campaign if you can get through that which i can't i can't but if you can get through that consider the fact that in the same time period the cia then briefed what they call the big four the big four is the congressional leaders of both houses of congress right so you're, at the time you're talking about pelosi mcconnell Ryan and Schumer. Mm-hmm. They briefed them on Russian interference. And at the time, we knew nothing other than the retrospective reports by Greg Miller in the Washington Post about the contents of that meeting, mm-hmm. which, according to Brennan, is, I mean, that's, that's basically my read of it, is that Brennan was reading this thing out to the Washington Post. But at the time, the allegation was that he he laid out clear evidence that Russia was interfering with the American election and that uh, everybody was willing to sign a letter and McConnell objected. Mm-hmm. And their uh, retrospective on it was that McConnell objected like pr- purely partisan grounds. Right. Saying you're basically I remember there the, and then they were like Mitch McConnell's an enabler of yeah. Russian Yeah, and they, they wave this around Washington for, you know, the whole Trump administration to say, you know, Mitch McConnell is a Russian asset. They say Moscow Mitch. He, he helped, refused yeah. to sign the letter yeah. saying that right. there right. was Russian uh, collusion with mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. And at that point when they were doing that, the whole Russian collusion piece was it was basically uh, sacrosanct intelligence information. Right. They're like, we cannot tell you the direct link. Right. 
But, you know, the but it's CIA, there. nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But it's there, right? And so when he refused to sign the letter that was linking Donald Trump to Russian interference efforts, uh, nothing happened. The Obama administration did nothing about it. And it's always struck me as incredibly curious that if they had information sensitive enough to brief the big four on an imminent threat to this country in this country's election, that they weren't doing something about mm-hmm. it. But they did absolutely nothing. And it's always puzzled me. I always I was trying to figure out why was it that if they believed this imminent threat was upon us, why the CIA, the FBI, the president himself, our armed services or anybody did something mm-hmm. to do they did nothing. They oh, did nothing. Curious. The tr- you so, know, you know, I mean, we all know the truth. Well, years later, 2 years later, Biden was asked before he was president was asked why it was that they didn't do it. And what he said was, well, McConnell wouldn't sign the letter. As if the job of the executive, the chief executive, the 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 person in charge of protecting this country is entirely related to whether or not the majority leader of the Senate signs a letter. And that again just puzzled the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out why it was or how it was that this administration would would logically take the leap mm-hmm. that they couldn't do anything unless McConnell signed on with it. Yeah, because in any other instance, they would have done whatever they wanted to do anyway. In fact, they would have immediately linked that Mitch, Mitch McConnell was obstinate to some obvious intelligence, mm-hmm. and we're going to go ahead and do exactly what we want to do. Including bomb countries, with right. the, which they've done in the past. Right, right. Right? right? Executives can do whatever the hell they but want. But they didn't do that here. So curious, huh? So it's curious. Hmm. But they blame the letter sign. <laughs> Which now we know because of the Durham report that the contents most likely, and I don't know because I wasn't in the briefing, I don't have an intelligence uh, clearance, and certainly McConnell would never tell me that, that at some point they must have had a briefing very similar to the one that the Durham report reports were given to Obama and Biden that included the Clinton intelligence plan. Yeah. Right. They're like, also, guys, so this is all because Hillary said that she wants to create right. a fake story about because, like, Russian, you know, uh, Russian interference in the election. When people are making accusations, the providence of those accusations is relevant. It's relevant. It's relevant to know, oh, uh, it's the opponent in the election who's alleging these things. But I don't know <laughs> if they disclose that or not. And I, and I, truthfully, McConnell will not tell me what happened or was alleged in that mm-hmm. meeting will not say a word about it but i'm deducing based upon this report that they gave a very similar report that basically said that donald trump's campaign is benefiting and maybe colluding with the russian government mm-hmm. in order to win this election and he was like bullshit and so it never went forward but the only reason you wouldn't take an action as an administration, if you truly believe that this was like a imminent threat to our country is if you thought it was bullshit too. Right. That's the only reason yeah. why you wouldn't take action. Right. Blaming McConnell is just a cover your ass exercise. Because they never thought uh-huh. that Donald Trump was going to be elected right. in the first they place. They thought Hillary would win and it wouldn't matter in a couple months anyway. It was going to be a move. This was all a campaign exercise. Mm-hmm. But this the moment is- it wasn't a campaign exercise, then they had to figure out a justification for why they didn't do shit. Right. It, I mean, the, you saying this was all a campaign exercise, like the, the what they did to pull this off 
contributed more to the distrust in institutions in this country than almost anything else over the last 10 years. I agree. I mean, they spent so much time, entire news organizations built entire desks to respond and write stories about about this bullshit scheme that they came up with. How many journals got book deals writing about, oh, Russian spycraft? Dozen. I I, I mean, uh, I think even a more pointed criticism of Brennan himself I mean, we know he is a notorious liar, that he has lied before. Under oath, but somehow doesn't have any repercussions for it. But but I think interesting in the Durham report, I don't know if anyone's connected this dot, but he previously had testified to Congress that the dossier was, quote, was not in any way used as a basis for an intelligence report used to brief President Obama and then President-elect Trump on Russia's election interference. Well, now that's clearly a fucking lie. Clearly. Clearly a lie. Clearly a so lie. So he lied to Congress again. Again. So what the hell are we going to do about it? Oops. That's the thing. That's in the past. That's We're going to have to move on from so, that. So that's the thing is, you know, after this report comes out and it becomes crystal clear that this is a situation where we had the intelligence community working in concert with a political campaign to help Hillary Clinton and then... They then have the media jump on the bandwagon and spread this lie to Americans for years. Even after they're like, oh, shit, Trump won. I guess we got to keep this bullshit rolling. For years, they continue this lie, slander a sitting president, undermine his authority and the faith of all Americans and institutions. And who's going to go to jail over this shit? Because there should be paddy wagons full of people. This is insanity. I mean— the most interesting part to me is to try to reconstruct our political history with now that we know what we know. And if you look, they had committed to a plan here. Mm. And the FBI director was let in. That was James Comey. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was in on this, according to the memo that we just read. He was, he was in on it sort of from the beginning. Didn't talk about it. We didn't know anything about it. But then you consider the fact that he did what he did at the end of the election with Hillary Clinton and the the new computer that Anthony Weiner had, uh-huh. and like they were going to reopen that investigation. And of course, there's Democrats who blame him for Hillary tanking at the end because of a new investigation. You wonder whether or not he felt like that fire was getting a little hot. Probably another cover your ass exercise. Another cover your ass. You know, I'll go ahead and balance it out a little bit. It, it, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that any of this stuff was done uh, forthrightly or in good conscience because you know that what you're getting is opposition research. Mm-hmm. You know that it's done in a political context in the last 90 days of a campaign. You should be inherently skeptical about all of that. And as a law enforcement officer, I can't imagine interacting with any of it. I can't even imagine... I mean... Let's set the FBI away for a second. Brennan? Right. Right. International intelligence operations, and he somehow come into contact with a oppo report from the Hillary Clinton campaign? That's the single worst worst breach of trust I've ever heard of. It makes, makes like, the entirety of the history of our intelligence services seem quaint. And it, it makes it all that much more frustrating than when you fast forward four years and all of these people did everything they could to block the release of the hunter biden laptop right all of them used all their credibility same thing it's the exact same and that's why they did it is because it worked 
because they got away with it. And they're like, oh, this is now going to be our card that we always play. And they are further vindicated in that belief by the fact that after this drops, you see MSNBC, you see all the left-wing news organizations say, oh, this is a nothing burger. Because these people, these crooked bastards, primed the American public. Half this country, they got believing Donald Trump's a KGB agent. Right. Zombified him to where yeah. they will not, when it's in front of their face, and for MSNBC, believe that they've been fucking, they'd had the wool pulled over their eyes. For, for MSNBC, they got Brennan on their payroll. Mm-hmm. Of course they got to say it's a nothing burger. They have and to. Do you remember when we had the interview uh, with Bill Barr and we were starting to talk through some of this stuff as, as the sort of initial indictments uh, from the Durham investigation were going on and we were like, Who's going to go to jail? What is going to be the repercussions for this? And I I think the thing that was really telling in there was, you know, when somebody's operating in their official capacity in government, it's very hard to prove that they did something bad on purpose. Yeah. Right. That people can be grossly negligent or fuck things up and be wrong and even sometimes be willfully wrong, but not maliciously to the intent in which you can indict them for their behavior right. in their official capacity. You can't indict dumb. You can't indict dumb. But I look at Brennan essentially committing perjury before the United States House of Representatives, and I have to think he could be indicted for that and should be. <laughs> right? He should be. But, but, but like, look... And, and maybe this is because I've worked in this area and I've dealt with this stuff and I've seen the careful nature of which an office within the big four handles intelligence information. Right. right. Maybe it's because I have extra, extra sensitivity to it. But the idea that a CIA director comes into contact with a political campaign within 90 days of an election at any time for any purpose mm-hmm. is enough. That's enough. Yeah, Th- that in and of itself is unreal. That just that goes flying in the face of any. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover wouldn't have dreamed of doing shit like that. Mm-hmm. Just wouldn't have dreamed of it. And like you're talking about the most corrupt acts that have been done by an American system over our history. I can't imagine one exceeds a threshold of that yeah it is it is unconscionable to me that somebody would brief the big four brief the big four if you're going to take that briefing let me just say for the audience who hasn't been a part of any of these things if you're the cia and you are scheduling a special meeting to brief the speaker of the house majority and minority leader of the senate and minority leader of the house on something it's fucking important. This thing is imminent. It's probably going to require American intervention. It's not going to be politically popular, but it is a imminent threat to this country. That's that's the criteria that you have a snap meeting right. on something like that. What he did is convene that meeting. And again, I don't know the contents. Maybe this is not that. But it seems to me, given the proximity of the briefing that he gave Obama and Biden and the contents that we now know from the Durham report that that's what he did. He did it on a political plan that if it's not criminal, pass a fucking statute, get it done 
tomorrow. Bro, if people don't go to jail, it's going to happen again. Th- th- it's going to happen again. There's and, never any repercussions for these people. And let's say it did happen again. Yeah. They, they did the same thing with, with, with Hunter's laptop. But, you know, Fox News, Brian Flood put this great article up there, uh, which is kind of like a, 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 a where are they now? Of the various jokers who are involved in this oh, situation, like so so he he lists a few of them. Um, it says it wasn't lost on observers that many of the same people who pushed the RussiaGate conspiracy were eager to downplay any investigation into its origins. CNN contributor Andrew McCabe, the former FBI deputy director who was fired by then Attorney General Jeff Sessions in 2018, attempted to downplay Durham's findings. MSNBC's Joy Reid enlisted disgraced ex-FBI agent Peter Sturzak, who was referenced in the report to say it was a, quote, predictable sad ending to investigation that should have never taken place. Amazing how someone who's worked at the FBI is supposed to be like, is like, well, this investigation shouldn't have happened in the first place. And to remind folks, this is uh, this is also included in the report, and this has been said many times. This is from August 8th, 2016, and messages between uh, Page and Sturzak is... Uh, Trump Strzok. Strzok. Is it Strzok? Yeah. Uh, Page says, Trump's not going to become president, right? Right? And Strzok says, no, no, he's not. We'll stop it. This is the guy who's like, oh, well, this investigation can't investigate it. Happen. Nope. <laughs> and, <laughs> we, and we wonder why fentanyl is just flooding into our country. Right. And we wonder why illegal immigration is running rampant and crime is all over our streets. It's because that the people in charge of keeping us safe and stopping these things are distracted by their own political preferences. And then in terms of totally. the media class, so MSNBC's Nicole Wallace, one of the most rabid Russiagate proponents in cable news, uh, compared the report to a, quote, rabbit hole conspiracy. They're calling a report from this, the DOJ, for, uh, from the Department of Justice, a conspiracy theory. That's what see they use these buzzwords. That's like, oh, it's disinformation. That's a conspiracy theory because they've lied to their audience for years, and they have to. They can't come clean like, oh shit. Well, we were lying to you, folks. No, they have to keep the charade going. CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers declared, "There's nothing there. This is a political opinion piece. Effectively, Jeez. a political opinion piece was the basis for Russia Gate. That's what we learned from the Durham report." I mean, it's so dishonest. You know, here's the this is I'm coloring outside the lines here, but it just occurred to me as we're talking about this because you know you deal with like the Dominion suit and Fox News, and you've dealt with the Washington Post thing with Nick Sandman and all yeah. of these other things. I I understand that Donald Trump wants to be president, but if he didn't want to be president, he could file the most unbelievable lawsuit. Tens of billions of dollars. Tens damages. of billions of dollars against every one of these companies mm-hmm. who publish this shit uncritically mm-hmm. won Pulitzer Prizes for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he could bring every single fake news outlet to their fucking knees. Mm-hmm. Because there still, to this day, has not been an apology. No correction. Nobody Nothing. nobody had to return their Pulitzer Prize. No. Not one. David Corn doesn't have to return any book royalties for his book, which was literally called Russian Roulette. <laughs> Russian Roulette. And it was based on nothing. And he's tweeting out there about how terrible the Durham report is. He says John Durham is up to his usual shenanigans. In his final report, he suggests the FBI Russia investigation was prompted by a Clinton campaign to, quote, vilify Trump. No, I mean, it literally was. That is literal fact. He's not up to any shenanigans. It's unbelievable. And then guess what? Where does he go smug? His next tweet. I'm scheduled to be on the beat with Ari Melbourne soon to talk about the John Durham final swing and a miss. And it's like, yeah, of course, it's all self-preservation at this point. These people made millions and millions of dollars lying to their audience for four years. And now the check comes and suddenly they're like, oops, 
That's why th- people need to go to jail. People need to go to jail. I I, th- I was enraged when when you had Alvin Bragg bring up this bullshit uh, case against Donald Trump, and I was like, some Republican district attorney every day, like we have these reports from the U.S. Treasury of nine members of the Biden family getting money wired to them from China. Like, what's it going to take? One of you file a goddamn lawsuit. Somebody needs to start putting these people in handcuffs. They've done it twice. They did it once and they got away. And then it became a part of, oh, wait, this is just in the playbook now. Right. Every year we're just going to say, oh, this person is, is working with the Russians. There's disinformation. There's misinformation. Oh, my God. You know, we have to, we have to uh, uh, tell the public that Donald Trump is a threat to the country. All of it was a lie. It was all a lie. It was all a lie. But in, in retrospect, you look back. And the thing that I can cannot escape my mind, because at times like this, you're always like, look, it's always going to be a partisan masquerade until we just blow each other up and you just end your country because of stuff like this. But I look back and I look like somebody like Bill Barr, mm-hmm. who appointed Durham. Mm-hmm. That's a guy who got it the whole way through. And he took complete shit mm-hmm. from every single person. He, he took complete shit from the left by saying why are you not indicting donald trump why are you not you know this that and the other thing and then on the right he was like well you know why why are you not indicting all these other people he started an investigation that durham who when his appointment was made everyone applauded because he was a virtue of fairness Mm -hmm. and his career had been entirely nonpartisan. people are uh, posting this uh, screenshot of a New York Times article about him from 10 years ago where they're like he's known as being the most apolitical person right zero interest in any partisan politics right and if you, if you turn on MSNBC tonight they'll be painting him out to be like Rudy Giuliani yeah you know like like a hair dye running down the side of his face yeah like a partisan hatchet man yeah which is absurd it's absurd but there I say that to try to emphasize not all hope is lost here. And there is a long game. There is a long game. There still are people like that. Yeah. And the only reason we know this information today, and we know this information today, which is an important distinction mm-hmm. between that and third world countries or Russia or China, where you would never know any of this shit, mm-hmm. is that we have people who point people who do things like this, that bring this to light and we can have a conversation freely on the Ruthless Variety program without being shut down. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself mm. is worth celebrating. I don't know. Some I don't know. I don't know, man. Like the, people are like, well, in third world countries, you know, you got these banana republics that'll start arresting candidates. They're doing it to Donald Trump right now. And now we found out the intelligence community was pushing this bullshit they knew was completely political. At what point is it going to be like? Listen, if we, you know, I don't want to conflate your country. Shit. If you're safe to, you know, smug, I don't want to conflate shit. I don't want to conflate shit. I mean, it, my my deal with Trump is, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this man was treated the worst mm-hmm. possible way that any president, elected president of the United States, could ever be treated by intelligence agencies, by every establishment in this country, by the Justice Department itself under his own administration. And everyone in the media, we know that. We also know that there are several different pieces of the puzzle that come along with Donald Trump that have nothing to do with that. And I don't want to conflate every single thing that this man has said and done 
with the absurdity of the way he was attacked. I don't. I just don't want to conflate it. The difference between what may or may not be happening in Georgia and what he may or may not have done in Georgia is important distinction from whatever is happening in this bizarre Russiagate story. Because we know what they did to Trump is the same thing they would do to any Republican. That's the thing. Because they think that they can get away with it because they have such dishonest mouthpieces in the media who write everything that they want them to write on a routine basis without question. They would do this to any Republican, and that's why it has to stop. Yeah, and that's the more important part. The more important part of this is If you're ever going to have a republic that reflects the people's will, that does the job that you have paid taxpayer money to do, you actually have to have trust that the CIA isn't trying to undermine its own fucking government. Right. And in this case, it doesn't appear like it was at all. Yeah. It it appears like it's the worst case scenario. Yeah. For American democracy. No, the absolute worst case scenario. And I got to say, Smug mentioned Banana Republics. Uh-huh, that's right. And it turns out... Let's get on this monkey. Albany, <laughs> in Albany, New York. In Albany, New York, there is a crackdown on a very fun uh, festival where they're <laughs> simply trying to give ban- bananas to monkeys. And it's my understanding that monkeys like bananas, right? <laughs> so rabbits, this is, this- rabbits like carrots. Monkeys like bananas. So, so this is from the New York Post. It says, Albany tries to stop, quote, banana races mm-hmm. amid allegations of animal cruelty. I mean, as Ashbrook just started, giving a, a banana to a monkey does not seem like it's cruel in any way. So this is from oh, the it's article. A, it's a treat. Is it, it, 100%. It, it, it's like it, giving a bone to a dog. But, but let me just ask a, a threshold question here at the beginning. Are the bananas in a pool? <laughs> uh, well, they should be. <laughs> If people knew what was good for them, they would put them in a pool and the monkeys would dive in and then they would not bother us any longer. So it says here, uh, this is from the New York Post, no more monkey business, says one Albany Democrat. Of course, they Uh, they try to take the fun away. Uh, They want to crack down on, quote, animal cruelty following a controversy about banana races (laughs) at the Orange County Fair. This is so amazing. So it says... How it works is they basically put capuchin monkeys in costumes. And Come on. They're aping horsemen while riding dogs. So you got a monkey riding a dog, wait, chasing wait, wait. a banana. Are you fucking kidding that me? That is a celebration. This hold is, on. Hold on. Hold a, on. Hold on. That's a good show. This is America, man. Hold, wait, hold on. This is entertainment. Albany has come up with an event. This is in Orange County. Where they have monkeys riding dogs? Yes. Dressed in like, races? They're, they're, they're monkeys dressed like jockeys while riding dogs chasing a banana. Dude, it's yeah. brilliant. It's and brilliant. so what do the Dems do? They introduced a bill Tuesday that would ban the, quote, use of primates in entertainment acts. That's what primates are for, man. Right. Like, you're, you're going to put all of these out of work. Uh, I love the photo that they include. We should tweet this out. This monkey just looks horrified at the prospect of losing their job. <laughs> <laughs> a dog jockey. Just crushed. Like, how, how, how tough are things going to have to get? How tough are things going to have to get? And Joe Biden. Devastated. I mean, the look on this monkey's face. We're going to tweet it out because it's just incredible. Wait, this poor monkey. I mean, the horrors this monkey has seen. He lost his job. Yeah. And, and he, lo- know, and and he lost his banana. And we don't have a safety net for these fellas. Yeah, no, we got a, a pool. 
That's a great point. This is unbelievable. So they banned this? Does this they mean put they... a bill out to get it banned and hopefully, you know, talk to your legislator if you're in New York and say, save the monkey jobs. Oh, Vote no. <laughs> <laughs> They're not allowed to pick coconuts. The, the, They're not allowed to race for bananas. Yeah. The only thing they let monkeys do is throw toddlers off the roofs in Japan. That's it. <laughs> That's it. We should, you know, at some point as we grow here with the wolf, mm-hmm. we should have an activism, uh, like, call. We, we should start a deal. movement. <laughs> we, yeah. Where, where people can actually get to the switchboard. Go to our, go to our website yeah. and then, like, contact their legislator. Yeah. Because this is worth activating. Absolutely. You're, you're, does this mean if if you're banning primates for entertainment acts, like you can't have a circus, right? Yeah, yeah. Any, any. Can you have a zoo? Like, is that an entertainment? Well, that's act? that's next. That's next. They want to let the animals out of the zoo so that the animals can reign over us. Yep. <laughs> this is what the libs want. It's New York soft on crime. That's They're what this very is. Very soft on crime. <laughs> this is unbelievable to me. It is. It is. And honestly, it's actually a perfect segue to our first interview with Troy Balderson from Ohio, who has taken on the animal menace and he won. Let's get to that interview. We're very lucky today to be joined by Congressman Troy Balderson, who hails from Zanesville, Ohio, once the home to Macho Man Randy Savage, and the location of the famous Y Bridge. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, I recommend you Google it right now, because you've never seen anything like it. Congressman Balderson, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, John. And I'm I'm really looking forward to this and excited about doing this. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, well, it's always great to talk to a fellow Ohioan. I'm from the Cincinnati area. You represent a huge part of the state and are doing just an incredible job on energy issues and and everything else. And uh, we we do want to talk about energy. But before we get to that, we've become something of an animal news podcast. And it seems like lately... A lot of animals are getting out of control. We read a story yesterday about a dog who shot its owner. We heard a story about a hog who killed a butcher. And animal control is an issue that I know you are not unfamiliar with. You've actually done something about it. If folks remember, 10 years ago in Ohio, Mm -hmm. a man uh, had a big piece of property and owned like a couple dozen lions, tigers, bears, maybe even more than that. And one day just opened the gate. Yeah. And these animals were rolling all over Ohio, and somebody had to do something about it, and that's where you stepped in. Yeah, that's where I stepped in. Uh, yeah, it was actually 48 animals, exotics, uh, that, that Terry let loose, uh, kind of his last hurrah. I'll never forget the night. It was a Wednesday night, rainy. I'm going to the gym. It's 5 till 7. Sheriff Matt Lutz calls me. I put my gym bag up on top of the roof of my car. And he said, hey, Troy, man, I, I need you to get anybody that you can get out here, ODOT, ODNR, if you can contact somebody. We have a facility in, in Muskegon County called the Wilds, uh-huh. which is actually a controlled environment for wild animals. So, uh, you know, that's how it kind of got started. I didn't go near the site at the time when it happened. Uh, but, you know, Matt and, and his team were able to contain the area pretty much. I mean, there was actually a high school state soccer tournament going on a mile and a half down the road so the big deal was to contain that there were a couple neighbors that were around uh of of where the thompsons actually lived Uh, but but i'll never 
I, I stayed back, waited on Matt to call me, but at, at one point, John Kasich, the governor at the high time, called me at, at 10 o'clock at night, and he said, gee, many Christmas tour, you got to ban all these things. And <laughs> I said, now, wait a minute, governor. We, we, we let's, let's just wait and see. Let's get through tonight first and make sure that we get everything under control. And, you know, I, he said, they're running across Interstate 7. I said, nothing is running across Interstate 7. I mean, they had a big, you know, the big signs, road signs, watch for animals on on i'll let up and uh you can google that and, and see it but uh, you know matt sheriff lutz and, and his team of deputies um the following day were able to to contain and, and they had to kill all the animals um jack hannah came in jack hannah was actually doing a talk at penn state uh-huh. he left at midnight uh and, and drove back to Zanesville, um, and, and that kind of justified some of the things that had taken place where people were pretty critical of what happened and how the sheriff department dealt with the issue. So ha- having Jack, you know, giving some reassurance of, look, we had no choice to do this. I mean, they had tried to tranquilize a couple of the animals uh, the following day even, um, Someone from the Wilds organization, a, a vet from there, tried to tranquilize the, one of the last animals, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, and and of course, Jack Hanna, world-renowned uh, wildlife expert, and um, at the time, it just it must have been nuts. And people criticizing the sheriff's department. These are these are tigers running around yep. a girls' soccer tournament. Like, what do you expect? You got to shoot it. You can't you can't just let it eat one of the kids playing soccer. Uh, no. And, and speaking of eating, one of the folklore things to it all. Uh, so. You know, they, they had a monkey, and, and the monkey would travel sometimes <laughs> with them, and, uh, but the monkey would agitate this lion. And uh, <laughs> let's just say the, the monkey did not survive, and he didn't get shot by a sheriff, but uh, the lion, you know, the monkey, they, they say that the monkey's standing there in, in the driveway, and it's like, there's a line. He says, I'm free. And there's that dag. I would say something else. That daggone monkey right there. You're mine, my man. And uh, the monkey uh, did not survive mm. the uh, line attack. So, That's, the circle. Uh, That's the circle of life. Circle of life. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Michael. Right there in eastern Ohio. Yeah. No, it's great. And look, I mean, you can't find better preparation for being in the zoo that is Congress uh, than having to contain those animals and make tough decisions. Yeah, no, that's very, very well said. <laughs> it, it, it's very well said, and, and I was sharing with John, but you know, before you got here, Michael, some of the the antics that went behind this thing, and, and you all saw Tiger King and how that came really big, and yeah. I actually had the producer, uh, one of the producers, uh, reach out to me and to say, like, hey, do you want to go out? I said, I want nothing to do with it. If you want any part of the legislation, I'll be happy to give that to you. But the Tiger King and Carol Baskin were both in your office at, at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe Exotic is, is how he was going by. When he first came in, he had a badge on, like a sheriff's badge on there. And I said, what the hell's the badge for? And he said, I'm the protector of the exotic animals or something crazy but um you know he he was in ohio and he he planted himself there while we did the legislation uh you know all all of them were there and and, you know it's we'd have to probably do another show because i myself uh, since i was leading the legislation uh jim zeringer who was the director of odnr high department of natural resources i mean we were traveling around the state looking at facilities and here's the here's the unfortunate piece about it There, there are some people out there that do this the right way and you know you tell people like these animals, I mean, we don't go to Africa and bring them back here. I mean, there, there are some breeding that's done here mm-hmm. legally uh, and, and 
the right way. So, um, you know, we had to look at some of those cases and, and take that into consideration, too, when we did the legislation. But, um, you know, it was a good piece of legislation. It was, it was challenging to, to get it done. And uh, But, you know, for me to be part of it, I mean, the BBC, I mean, the international news came in. I mean, it was worldwide, uh, the attention this got. But it was all before the Tiger King show came all out the, and he before. became world famous. So you, yeah. you met you met this I, guy I knew Joe when he was else. just Joe Exotic, so not the Tiger King. He was Joe Exotic is, is who he was, and he, he exact. I mean, he was the exact same way he was on the TV show. Could you tell there was tension between him and Carol Baskin? Oh yeah, the they they were they've been on complete opposite sides the whole time, and uh, you know one wanted to be bigger and better than the other, and that's what the battle was. So it was a competition to the two of them. Well, just stunning. Just stunning. Uh, so yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I don't want to say it was fun. It, it was interesting and uh, something that I tried to journal as much of it as I could. So hopefully, uh, my son can carry that on and they'll write a book about it someday. <laughs> it's nice. It's something I would love to read. So we saw um, in the Columbus Dispatch last week, yep. an op-ed that you wrote about energy. I know you've been working on energy issues for a long time here, and you've you've become a key player um, and. The point that you made in your op-ed that what the Biden administration is doing is pushing us beyond our capacity to keep up, I think, is one that is just not made enough. Yeah, it's it it's starting to get a little bit of movement, John, but it's still taking some time. Um, obviously, the, there was a PJM report, and I don't know how much to get in the weeds of some of this stuff, but there was a PJM report that came out uh, probably two months ago now that said like hey, we're shutting off our baseload energy faster than we can transition to the renewable piece. Uh, that's kind of what's got this whole conversation going. Uh, in the state legislature, I, I chaired the Energy and Utility Committee. So, you know, I've, I've fallen in love and have really enjoyed this issue. Um, you know, it came to me in 2010 when we had a Utica shale play in southeastern Ohio. So we were really excited about that. I mean, the jobs that were coming with that, uh, and, and, and there was going to bring some prosperity back. The communities were really excited because a lot of those coal mines uh, in southeastern Ohio had been shut down, and, you know, there was nowhere for them to go. And, and you know, you had coal miners that were making sixty to $75,000 a year that mm. had nothing mm-hmm. left. So um, it, it was good to do the, the Utica shale. It, it, it slowed down a little bit. It's starting to make a comeback. But, you know, Todd Snitchler, who was the chairman of the PUCO, Craig Butler, who was the high EPA director at the time, you know, we were going to Pennsylvania, we were going to West Virginia, some of those other areas that had been, you know, started this, you know, energy boom before Ohio, just to make sure that we didn't, you know, make the same mistakes they did, didn't want to overregulate, obviously. Uh, so it's been a good experience. So, you know, as I've grown, you know, with my career path and, and moving forward with this, it, it, it gives me a, a better sense of, of how important our baseload energy is and the i'm trying to convince people that that we we still have to have our baseload energy because that's what's going to make sure those lights get turned on we can do all the above energy there's that that's fine but you still have to have that baseload the pgm report came out and said that uh and we did a resolution i was reading wall street article probably two and a half years ago now and it said the eu was going to make natural gas and nuclear part of the green energy portfolio so i thought that was interesting why couldn't we do that here um ended up doing just the natural gas uh we did a resolution here in congress and then uh governor dewine actually signed a piece of legislation to make natural gas part of the green energy portfolio i mean it's the cleanest form other than nuclear that we have for our energy needs um you know we're going to continue advocating and pushing for that i I will share 
that this whole climate change movement and everything and, and our, our young adults, our young kids um, are, are not getting the full picture here. And I want to make sure that we convey that message of, of the full picture and what it means. And a prime example of what happened and what I encountered uh, when we were doing this natural gas resolution, and, and I truly am not making this up, we went to a farm uh Mr. Bean was his name, actually. The farmer's name was Bean. We were in a soybean field uh, with, a, with a pump jack and, and, and two tanks there. And we had some Central Ohio uh, news organizations, Channel 4. So the, the Columbus stations were there, uh, one in particular. And when we were all done doing the announcement of, of you know, doing this resolution, the camera guy from Channel 4 came up to me. And soybeans were planted to six feet to the pump jack. And the Channel 4 camera guy said to me, he said, this is all it is. I said, this is it. What would you would you think? He said, I was looking for big pieces of equipment and, and all these things around here, and it takes all that. I said, no. I said, you can go down the road five miles, and you can see 350 acres of solar panels, but this is all you have when you have a natural gas pump. So, you know, getting that out there uh, is something that we're, you know, we're focused on. We're going to do that. And just explaining that we can do this. We can do it in a reasonable manner. Um, and 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 make sure that we have that base load energy. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned uh, Europe uh, because I think what we're seeing is um, a real you know a lot of warning signs uh, because you know energy security is national security. Absolutely. You know, and you see what has happened in natural gas and you know Germany with the the war in Ukraine and everything. And the Biden administration seems to they, they see the warning signs here about our energy security but they're just so hell-bent on moving us very quickly to this you know green energy future that they're sort of overlooking all of the obvious things that are right in front of our face which like you know it's, it's a national security on on the supply side and also to the supply chain side right, right? Yep. because all these components uh, for the solar panels or for the batteries right so much of that supply chain is is held by china could you talk more about that? Um, yeah, and it's a great conversation piece, and <laughs> it's, a, it's an easy conversation, and we've got into that, and some of the restrictions that the Biden administration's put in, obviously, two or three weeks ago, they came out with the 2032 um, exhaust pipe, so, you know, trying to get that electrification, excuse me, um, you, you know, fully done, and, you know, the batteries are not made here. We, it, It's right. all China, and yeah. I, we people don't understand that. When you tell them that, they stop and hesitate and say, oh, well, like, really? Okay. Um, so, I mean, we're trying to get some of that here in the United States. Honda, um, you know, i got to give a shout-out to Honda. They've done great things in Ohio. They're actually going to put a battery plant in now, uh, which is located about between Cincinnati and, and Columbus, Ohio, down there on 71, John. Um, so, but we're, we're so far behind. The mining issue, it's huge. Pete Stauber in Congress, mm-hmm. uh, Congressman out of, out of Minnesota, has done some great things, legislation. Well, he's on the Natural Resources Committee and the mm-hmm. Transportation Infrastructure Committee. I mean, he's trying to advocate and make sure that we do that mining here, uh, and it's not under ch- child labor laws. So, so, I actually saw a very interesting story on 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago uh, in the Salton Sea. Yeah, I right? saw that, too. You yeah. saw that, too? I did. I did. That was interesting. It was very fascinating. Doing, and for our listeners, doing lithium extraction there. Uh, domestically here, um, which would, of course, you know, like you said, I mean, some of the child labor uh, that goes into the production uh, of the extraction of these resources that go into the batteries is just absolutely horrific stuff in places like Africa. And uh, so the idea that we could we could onshore some of that capacity would be a just a huge boom. It, it, it would be. And, and look, let, let's not, you know, 
bash the whole electric vehicle thing. I, I think, you know, look, what Elon Musk has done with Tesla, and he's done it without the government support, I, I think it's a big deal. And it's something he said. He did a, I saw some of the clips from his interview last night on Squawk on CNBC. Um, so, to, 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 but we can't, it's just kind of like what we're doing with the energy. We, we can't cut off that base load. So we mm-hmm. can't do away with fossil fuel from our vehicles. Um, a perfect example of that would be, and I won't mention the model, you know, I, I go, and I always feel like I'm cheating when I sit in one because my family had a car dealership and I worked in the back shop and everything. So we're a fossil fuel family, Dodge trucks all the way, uh, sold <laughs> yeah. them, and we sold them when they were the worst truck made now they're the like number one or number two truck between that and the ford f-150 but i'm sitting there and and the guy with the manufacturer said here where do you where do you live mr balders i said live in zanesville ohio and he said well let's just you know let's just map that out and just see how long you know we you can get there and the charging stations they're a long away well we got off to a bad start because they couldn't find zanesville ohio on the gps map that they had there <laughs> so we're, we're not starting so we did columbus but there was not one charging station from D.C. to Columbus, Ohio, in between. And I would barely make it. I mean, I, I would make it depending upon, um, you know, how I would conserve that or how, how fast I would go with the car. So um, I, I just – And that's a straight road. That That's I a mean, pretty that's much straight, straight road, flat. yeah. I mean, through Cumberland and everything. So it's, it's pretty flat. But, you know, going back to, Michael, what you said, I mean, we, we've got – if we're going to do this, do it here. We, we know what the product's going to be. We know who's going to be there manufacturing. We have manufacturers here that we trust uh, and that we know that they can do it in a responsible manner. It's just kind of like me going back and, and, you know, Todd and Craig and I going to Pennsylvania and, and West Virginia and seeing how they did it. So um, I won't own an electric vehicle personally. Uh, the district that I represent uh, will not own. I mean, not too many of them. I mean, I've got a county that I represent that does not even have a four-lane highway in the, in the whole county. Uh, and the infrastructure it's just it's so far away mm-hmm. um, from, from I mean look they're just starting to get a little glimmer of hope with broadband yeah and, and now we're talking mm-hmm. about doing you know infrastructure with charging yeah but the, the Biden administration will tell these oil workers these natural gas workers hey you know too bad you're going to be out of work but great news for you we're going to give you a rebate on an electric car sure there's no charging stations you know within a 200 mile radius of where you live but isn't that great for our environment so (laughs) you you bring up the uh you know the biden administration giving away and and, you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars was kind of the cut you know where you would you know you would not get the rebate anymore so we had a little bat to bat with uh Mr. Buttigieg on, on Twitter talking about that, and, and you know he was telling me that one hundred fifty thousand dollars isn't that much money anyway. So um, I, we 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 clarified with him to let him know that the the median income in the district that we represent is, is about forty eight thousand to fifty two thousand dollars. So uh, we got it got him back on place again uh, in, in doing right that. Um, it, it's just it, it's it's look. Again, in the, in those cities, those suburban areas, there there might be a place for it. But the farther out you get, the more impactful that it won't be. And I, and I think that that's important in, in making sure we've got to you know work for the people um, in those areas. Also, more importantly, but, uh, to those urban areas, you look at the energy mix of you know large metropolitan areas, and they're still using a lot of natural gas, right? Um, yeah, it, it's it's always fun for me to see and you know and i won't name some of the manufacturers but they say we're going to go green energy well they're not maybe a a small percentage of it they're going green energy and and they're transferring it you know from another state usually uh 
it, it's natural gas. Right. And uh, one of the biggest suppliers that's coming to us, the state of Ohio, uh, I shouldn't say suppliers, but Intel, I mean, it's in the 12th Congressional District. I mean, they're going to use natural gas mm-hmm. because they know that when they turn those machines on, it's going to come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reliability is it, a huge, that, that's, huge That's the factor. name of the game. So, Well, I, I'm like you. I will not own an electric vehicle. I actually like the sound a motor makes when you turn it yeah. over in the morning. It's just one of those simple pleasures. If you got to drive to work, at least you can hear your car. Yeah, but now now they have that fake sound uh, in that's the electric just, one. So it's like they put a subwoofer in your yeah. engine. <laughs> it's, just, it's not the same. It's just, it's just not the same. It's, it's not. And uh, yeah. I had a roommate that would, I had this old Dodge truck that I used on the farm and it had dual exhaust on and it was just loud as all get out and then outside the dorm my my roommate Doc Scholl unbelievable guy he would go out there at quarter eight in the morning and you know he right there in front of the dorm and he would just rev that thing up like nobody's business as loud as all get out and um, we like that stuff I mean mo- most most Americans want to hear that noise they want to they want to feel it they want to know that it's there yeah you don't want to feel like you're driving a golf cart yeah no, exactly. I mean, exactly. that's a great way to put it Michael I didn't yeah. think it's a, it's a golf cart yeah. so um, I bought a Prius just you know what Toyota's done is incredible and why we can't continue to go down this path I mean 25 years ago now the Prius came out mm-hmm. um, and as I said w- with our dealership I, I predominantly worked in the shop and ran the fixed operation side of it but I had to go buy a Prius at the at the auction, so I went and bought one. It took me almost an hour to get out of the parking lot because I couldn't figure out everything, the the stop, delay, the whole thing. But here we are today. The Prius is still gone. We had doubters about that Prius, you know, with the batteries only lasting a couple mm-hmm. years, uh, and then it got up to ten years that these batteries would last. I still have not heard anybody replacing their Toyota Prius battery. Now they've all changed and and they're newer. But I, I think, you know, here we, here we have a solution for all this. And we've cut our carbon emissions 30% mm-hmm. in this country in the last several years, more than anybody else in the world combined. And I think that we need to start talking about that and, and making sure. And for us to be pushing, you know, for this electrification of everything else when we don't have that base load right now, yeah. where we still have it, but we're going to lose it as, as long as this Biden administration continues doing that. So Toyota, Honda, I mean, all my last hope for these manufacturers, because Ford, I I mean, all the other major auto manufacturers have jumped in now and bought mm-hmm. into this because mm-hmm. of the money that's out there from this administration. And having been through the, you know, the, the manufacturer bailout in 2008, I saw my dad was a fact. We were a dealer for 48 years. My dad was impacted by, you know, he lost his dealership after 48 years. Jeez. Now, he didn't lose it because it, it, the conversation started you know, when those auto bailouts came. So you knew you were on the chopping block. It wasn't they came in and shut it off. But, you know, I've had two friends that have had Cadillac dealerships and, you know, Cadillac has come in and said, if you don't do 1.5 million investment because we're going all electric, then you're going to lose your franchise. Oh. I said, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, pe- people need to know some of these scenarios and these stories that are out there that are happening. Well, if they don't make uh, any regular cars anymore and all they make are electric cars, I guess I'm just never going to drive a new car again. I'm just going <laughs> to um, have to keep driving the same you, cars you know, already made. Um, you know, you talked about 60 minutes, Michael. Yeah. Uh, another great interview. And I, I don't know. I normally never watch 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. That was the last thing. I But for some reason, I'm watching a golf tournament or something. Yeah. But, it pops uh, on. And it and pops you on. You watching. just go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Charles Barkley was on. Yeah. And uh, he did a great interview. But, you know, going back to, John, you saying you'll never have an electric vehicle, um, it goes to me. I'm 61 years old now. And um, 
Charles Barkley is about the same age as I am, and he said, you know, I, I got a new granddaughter, uh, so I'm on the back nine. Now, let's hope the good Lord's only got me on number 10 or number 11 and not 17 and 18. So I will never have an electric vehicle either, but uh, let's, let's just hope that uh, I'm here for a lot longer. Yeah, well, we have uh, three questions that we ask every single guest, and I'm sure you've heard these I've questions. Heard, yeah, I've heard a couple. Yeah. And we are dying to know your answer to all three of them. So the first question is, if you had an opportunity to choose your last meal on earth, it could be anything at all, what would it be? You guys are going to love this. The Bear's Den. It's in Cambridge, Ohio. As soon uh-huh. as you, it's, it's, my buddy has it. He takes his own beef. He raises his beef, and that's what your meat is. Yeah. Uh, I'll do the Wagyu burger uh, is the last thing. But when you walk through the restaurant, when you walk into it, and it's an old setup, a big black bear is right there in front of you. When wow. So he's got it pretty loaded up. But <laughs> awesome. that would be my last meal uh, is, is, is going to the Bear's Den. I mean, that sounds great. Is yeah. there a dessert? Um, he's got tons of a dessert. But for, for me and, and having a shout out for one of my longtime friends and, and the family history that's had, it's Tom's Ice Cream Bowl. Okay. And many a times uh, politicians make a stop at, at Tom's Ice Cream Bowl. I mean, hmm. the wine's been there. Rob's been there. Yeah. Is that, t- uh, is that Ron- tough, tough for you, Ashbrook, to hear that as a Cincy? guy because uh, you're like a graders guy right uh actually homemade oh. united dairy farmers brand you, there you yeah. go udf yes <laughs> but but uh ice cream is ice cream <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean. it, it is it's pretty good but uh tom's it's 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 homemade and it, it, yeah. it's pretty good stuff and uh yeah. mitt romney came in 2012 it was a lot of fun i uh i, I was a delegate for for romney in, in, in 2012 and uh one of the folks from his team called and said hey we're going to do a, you know run through zanesville ohio do mm-hmm. you got a good place we can go and i said yeah tom's ice cream bowl they called me on a sunday night so i called i knew the owner well enough i called him at home on a sunday night and i said hey bill can you uh can we bring mitt romney to to zanesville and have him stop at tom's ice cream bowl and, and he just said if you're lying to me i'll burn your house down <laughs> heck yes i <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so Mitt Romney did uh, Tom's Ice Cream Bowl, and uh, we had Rob was there too. Uh-huh. So. Okay, so second question. If you were not in public service and you could do anything at all, what would it be? Uh, be a motorcycle guide. Oh, that's uh, right. That's yet, right. Uh, so I, I would probably there, – there's a couple places out west. Um, I'd, I'd probably be a motorcycle guide. I mean, that sounds great. There's a lot so, to see out how, there. How does that work exactly, being a motorcycle guide? So you, um, like, um, backcountry is, is what it's called. It's out mm-hmm. in Colorado. But there, there's routes throughout the country. Um, they even have one where you can do the whole Baja route. Mm-hmm. So a motorcycle wow. touring company will take you, uh, you'll pay money, obviously, yeah. <laughs> with a tour guide to run the Baja 1,000 or 500, whatever choice you want to Pick, pick your pain level of pain is, is what it is for, what, the, for that. Event. What I like about that, we live in D.C., and obviously there's a lot of tourists. And I don't really mind the tourists too much, but what I do mind are the Segway tours. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, where they got the tour guide up front, and you got 15 people taking up the whole sidewalk, and they're seeing the monuments and all that sort of thing. It's sort of annoying if you're trying to walk. This is sort of the man's version of the Segway tour. But, <laughs> this is the man's version. Now, look, there, there's women that participate in this, too. So, um, in fact, uh, Jacqueline Snow is out from out west. Um, she's, one of, she's one of the tour guides, and, and she's big. She's wow. actually renowned. So, awesome. Uh, that, that would probably – I mean, it's just – Look, like I like Barkley said, I'm on the back nine, man. I'm I'm gonna have fun. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, so third question. Our view is that everybody is motivated by one of two things. Either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. You've heard this question before, you're familiar with the concept. So Congressman Balderson, 
what motivates you? The thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? The agony of defeat. Yeah, that's... The agony of defeat. I, I, I can't stand to lose. Um, and it it happened to me. I, I did a race, and, and we as a team had the DNF because one it's a four-man team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when one of your members goes down, I mean, you got to stick with them. But I'll, I'll never forget that feeling uh, of how bad I felt. Now, we went back the next year and we won it mm-hmm. so um it drove us to do that and you know one of my other models is is trained to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. so um, that's a great answer yeah uh congressman if if people want to learn more about you if they want to follow your work on energy or anything else where should they go uh balderson.house.gov uh is, is the best place to go right now and um we got a great team great staff uh that we have in, in dc and also in the district office which is located in pickerington ohio yeah well that's fantastic we can't wait to see you next time we're rolling now i got through. one request for you yeah. guys okay. so you 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 know you talk about bringing in you know former members and and and, and talking them i want you guys to go out to members that didn't come back here and be lobbyists or, or work still stay in dc mm-hmm. and continue working i'd love to see you guys go out and kind of like me you'd come back out and see me and i'm doing motorcycle guide tours and uh i, I think we should go out and and see what former members of congress because so many of them just either stay here or stay yeah. in the same thing so yeah. i think it'd be fun to uh, not all of them do it uh so I, I think it'd be fun to see what former members that didn't come back to dc are doing yeah good no not like all that. of them are doing something as interesting as motorcycle tours. yeah Congressman Balderson, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. I really really appreciate it. And uh, you got a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Man, that was great. It was great. You know, he's a great guy. Um, I like that we got a mixture of things. We got the uh, animal news uh, and we got some important policy stuff on energy. Yeah. I mean, listen, the best part about the variety program, from my standpoint, is that you get people who you may not be household names, but you sit them down for half an hour and you can talk about a range of things. And you're like, "Wow, that's terrific!" Yeah. Well, and he's a you know he's a pretty reserved guy. But when we got to the three questions, and you know we asked him the the blue sky thing, and he says motorcycle guide, which is like that's out of left field. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that is not something that comes up a lot I didn't as an see answer that to that question. You know. Uh, so yeah, I mean, a great guy. Uh, it's awesome. It's really great. Well, fellas, I think uh, it's we should. Everyone knows it's Thursday. It's Thursday. And what does that mean? That means King of the Hill. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, so I am uh, the defending champion with Sherry, my Sherry, Sherry Jacobus. Uh, who are you bringing to the arena? Brainworms. Wow, Jen Brain, Rubin. I mean, Jen Rubin. What a showdown. Well, here's the thing: when you fight Sherry. Mm-hmm. It's different. Yeah, you got to fight fire with fire. <laughs> it's different. You cannot bring nuanced takes. You got to have hot fire. So that's where I'm going here. Okay. Let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the red corner, fighting from the Washington Post. Looking to reclaim her crown, the queen, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. And now, in the blue corner, fighting from a snowy location in the Bolshevik Party headquarters, <laughs> and current champion of the world, Kami Jerry Jacobus. 
Well, I got to tell you, personally, I am extremely excited. This is like the unstoppable force versus the immovable <laughs> object. It's going to be beyond any train wreck. <clears throat> we got some good stuff. So Duncan is the champion. It's a good week for this matchup. It, it, it is. It, it, you know, it's tough to go first in this situation because, like, I can really set the tone in a variety of directions. Well, you know, I got Ruben, yeah. so I've got tone. Yeah. I got tone. Okay. Oh, this one is just an image. <laughs> it's a meme uh, from Sherry Jacobus. Uh, it says it's a I- image of um, people f- sort of floating up into the clouds and uh, some cats staring at it through a window. <laughs> and it says, be kind to atheists. They are the ones that will be taking care of your pets after you are raptured. <laughs> may I uh, may I uh, may I approach the bench just to Please show you the fo- I don't, you got to show you the photo here. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Here, here's the beauty of this. Um, I'm not sure if it's pro or anti-religion. I have no idea. <laughs> and, and she has a history of like supporting feral cats. Yes. So, yeah. The backstory there is uh, yeah, if you've listened to previous versions of King of the Hill where she's been a competitor. She has some really wild takes about feral cats. Yeah. She's an animal lover. Um, okay. This is uh, Jennifer Brainworms, who is, quote, tweeting a Donald Trump diatribe by Liz Cheney. Oh, boy. And she says, if he is the nominee... All decent patriots must support Biden. This is Cheney. Period. Would love to see Liz Cheney at the RNC. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, with thoughts like, let's elect the Dem, they should be running the RNC. Come on, come on. on. That's from the conservative writer. At the Washington Post. It's a, it's a, the diatribe from Liz Cheney is all about what you would expect. It's all the Jan 6 stuff. And her response is, and if he is the nominee, all decent patriots must support Biden. Would love to see Liz Cheney at the RNC. Incredible. Incredible. Honestly, that's, that's a scalding hot take. And it beats the cat image. First round, Jen Rubin. (laughs) Unbelievable. All right, so Jen Jen's got so much stuff here, dude. This is just this is so good. Um, her next act is her reaction to the CNN town hall mm-hmm. this week. It is at one o five a.m. <laughs> <laughs> The wine is gone, and I've got some thoughts. <laughs> Licked is a bigger threat to democracy than Elon Musk. <laughs> Period. End of tweet. And she's and for the audience who didn't pick up immediately. Chris Licked is the CEO of CNN. Uh, presumably, what she's talking about is that the decision to put Donald Trump on at all is a threat to democracy and that it somehow uh, in her mind 
exceeds that of Elon Musk, who decided that Twitter shouldn't be a partisan platform. Yeah, uh, who's also a, the a, First a Amendment, democracy under threat. <laughs> Excellent take. It's just such a double fucking it, win. It is. Okay, um, I'm going to have to return serve uh, on on genre. Uh, this is a quote tweet of. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the whole Anderson Cooper meltdown after the CNN town hall. I did. Oh, yeah. He went to camera and basically apologized for the whole thing. (laughs) The quote uh, from Anderson Cooper is, you have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? That person obviously being Donald Trump. (sighs) Sherry quote tweets it. Thank you, CNN and Anderson Cooper, for helping to inform me what a second Trump presidency would look like. Oh, wow. We're off to a normal start here. Because the first Trump presidency that ruined my life, (laughs) parenthetical, with Jeff Zucker's help and parenthetical, democracy and resulted in over half a million deaths would have gone unnoticed because, quote, silo. (laughs) It's hot heat. I will say, I will say, it is hot heat. I will say this, a frequent grievance from Sherry Macheri is her unfortunate ending to her contract at CNN. Hold on, hold on. Ruined my life. That's, to me, is insane. Because the thing is, it it encapsulates all these people whose brains were broken by Trump. And that's my point. That somehow, this guy ruined your life. She said the quiet part out loud. That's it. Okay, hold on. As all of their brains have melted, no one has said, no one has said it publicly ruined that her- actually Trump ruined their life. Because the thing is, is that like some still have some semblance of sanity to be like, well, I can't say he ruined my life or I don't know. I'm crazy. I'm owned. Before I'm owned. Make- Sherry's that now. But no, before you make this ruling, Chris Licht, the CEO of CNN is a threat to democracy. I mean, it's a hot take, but you can't beat it ruined my life. Oh! Round two, Sherry Jacobus. Let's go. Let's we got go. a match. Let's go. We got a match. Who into the third. What do you, I your honor, your honor, the bailiff has a question. Oh, yeah. Look. Uh, from, the, from the staff. Uh, the staff is wondering whether President Trump actually needs a press team or whether CNN and Sherry Jacobus uh, and the like do the job for him. Sufficiently. I mean, this is the thing is that when you have instances of Libs being like, he ruined my life, there is no greater endorsement for Republican running. These are terrible people. And I've said frequently, I want to send the worst monster I can to terrorize them. And when they say, he ruined my life, my God, that's it right there. <laughs> because she got fired from CNN. <laughs> he ruined my life. <laughs> okay. Threat to democracy. We're going to go off the rails again here, folks, in round three. Fuck. <laughs> uh, as we've said previously, she has this thing with cats and cat food and feral cats and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> she really paints a picture here. Sherry Jacobus. Pro tip. No matter what you order at Arby's, always get as many packets of the, quote, horse sauce as allowed. Par- parenthetical. Horseradish and mayo. Because it is amazing on so many things and you need it in your kitchen. I may or may not have mixed it with a can of pink salmon. <laughs> My God. That is disgusting. <laughs> a disgusting person eating cat food. 
pro tip, these sauce packets at Arby's are worse. Yeah. You know what? Like, who in the audience raises this thing, Swag? I actually agree with her. Trump did ruin her life. <laughs> She's like, I now live with cats and eat Arby's sauce. Look what you've done to me, Donald Trump. <laughs> Oh, That's going to be fucking tough to talk. Okay. <laughs> Jennifer Rubin, an employee of the Washington Post, tweets out a CNBC article. Mm. You don't see that often. Mm. Uh, the article is entitled, CNN's CEO stands by Trump Town Hall but acknowledges production weaknesses. She tweets, finally, now fire him and apologize to Oliver Darcy. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Oliver Darcy, for folks who aren't in on this stupid story, I guess in his email that he sent out, he was like, this was a disgraceful thing that CNN did. And Chris like calls him to his office and he's like, shut the fuck up, Darcy. (laughs) And and, and all the people at CNN are like, Darcy left the office and looked like he was going to cry. Which is just, like, the best, right? (laughs) Finally. Which, as wonderful as that is, it does not top. Pro tip, guys. These sauce packets are where it's at. Come on. Hold on. I think, I think, look. Horsey sauce. Bailiff, get him in order. Get this court in order. Let me just say. Horsey sauce gets the win. This is outrageous. This is outrageous. I had three straight takes. No, you know what's the best part? Is she doesn't say horsey sauce. She says quote horse sauce (laughs) made from the finest horses (laughs) i don't believe that sherry is beatable with smug as judge he is just he because i know good material i know good material he's a connoisseur hey you you won a round yeah i i I have i have no doubt she can be beaten but this week clearly the champion uh (sighs) speaking of champions let's get to our next interview with friend of the program personal friend Represent from New York, Mike Lawler. I want to welcome to the program somebody you've heard here before. Uh, you heard him as a candidate. Now he's a distinguished congressman. Mike Lawler from the great state of New York. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. So is this place everything you thought thought of and more? Just a, a perfect bastion, thoughtful... <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> Uh, frankly, I thought you were going to be in like a bunker, so this is this is better. You're, you're, you know, you're in an elevated uh, situation here. <laughs> well, thank you for coming in studio. It's always a, a blast and fun, and we've been following you very closely. Obviously, very impressed. And you're now what six months close to five, close five, to six months in. Although we lost four days trying to figure out a speaker, so yeah, that that was an unfortunate way to start your <laughs> tenure. But you had nothing to do with that. But now it appears like at least House. Republicans have got their act together. No question. And I think, uh, you know, frankly, Speaker McCarthy's done a terrific job leading the conference, uh, you know, bringing everybody together. And I think, you know, in some respect, the the early fight helped kind of get through any of the the kinks and, and get everybody f- focused on how to work together uh, and make sure that we're getting legislation passed through the House. And you know, we've passed more pieces of legislation uh, at this point than yeah. Nancy Pelosi did two years ago when and they good had complete stuff. control of, of the House. No question. Uh, I mean, they and, were doing just sort of political messaging bills that were like, you know, here here's what the left wing needs to hear from me. We'll pass right. it on a party line and kick it over. You guys are doing thoughtful legislation on border security, on energy. I mean, there's like real stuff there. 
no question and and it's you know part of the the uh you know plan that we all ran on uh as republicans in in last fall and and trying to take back the house and serve as a check and balance on the biden administration uh, the commitment to America. And so we've been steadily working through it, passing uh, this legislation through the House. Uh, and frankly, a, a lot of good stuff in there that uh, if if the Biden administration and, and Chuck Schumer had, uh, you know, uh, a clue, they'd start moving because it's stuff that really will put America back on, on the right fiscal path. Are you surprised? So, so, look, one of the things that you bring to Congress is that you understand politics. You've been in the game in terms of operative level and understanding leverage and understanding how things get done. So you come in with a little higher education than your average freshman congressman about all of this stuff. Have you been surprised at how poorly Democrats have played their hand when it comes to, you know, like, let's just take energy, for example. They know they got a problem, right? They have a massive domestic production problem. They've, they've tried to incentivize and tax everything else to try to figure out a way to make this entirely a green energy economy, which just so happens to be entirely related to getting all means of production from China and limiting everything that we're doing domestically. So they know they have all these political liabilities. And yet, as you said, you guys pass this pretty straightforward legislation as it pertains to energy and they entertain no discussions on, they don't want to get out from underneath the rock. Oh, look, the, the Senate can't pass anything. Yeah. I mean, they're not moving any legislation, frankly. Um, the house is driving the discussion and, uh, you know, we're moving forward on, energy independence we're moving forward on border security the border thing is another perfect example i mean you're watching the expiration of title 42 they have a genuine chaos right going on and like there's a bunch of thoughtful pieces of policy that you guys have moved over the house floor and they pretend like it doesn't exist to me it's like look we get it we're a split government you're not going to agree with everything we put forward we're certainly not going to agree with everything the biden administration is doing but you have to find some compromise. They're not even willing to entertain mm-hmm. a discussion. And so nothing is, is moving in on the Senate side. But meanwhile, we're putting forward substantive pieces of legislation that actually would put our right. country, our economy uh, back on the right path. You look at energy independence. I represented natural gas companies in New York prior to uh, taking office. 70% of our electricity is generated by natural gas. 60% of New Yorkers, for instance, rely on natural gas. So if you turn off the spigot, how are you getting your energy? <laughs> you, you, you see what's happening, um, you know, with, with the cost of electric. They want it. And in New York, you know, the governor just moved to ban uh, new natural gas hookups, ban the use of gas stoves. They want to ban the use of fossil fuel cars. Uh, no, no, I was told. <laughs> I was told this was a conspiracy yeah. theory of what right wing lunatics. This is just right wing mag extremists <laughs> creating a false narrative. <laughs> that was the best part. And then all of a sudden they put it in the state budget. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I remember standing on the House floor talking about this in January. And one of my Democratic colleagues was like screaming out while I was talking, you're lying, yeah. you're lying. And I'm, I'm sure <laughs> you were fact-checked by many prominent news organizations. Yeah. yeah, That's amazing. So one of the things that we try not to hold you against you here on the program is you've actually known Smug for longer than just this 10-minute period you've been sitting in this chair. I, I think I, I mentioned on the show like another lifetime ago when I was working in politics in New York, Waller was one of the – I mean – First off, when you're a Republican in New York, it's like the you Alamo, know each other, right? It's, yeah. you know, uh, you find each other pretty easily. And, and you did a, a hell of a tremendous job helping out the few, the proud Republicans in New York 
of trying to run credible campaigns, and clearly you ran one yourself, and now you're in the House. Uh, one question I wanted to have specifically is, so New York politics is just like bare-knuckle brawl 24-7. Uh, what difference do you find between that and what now on the federal level in D.C.? Well, frankly, I think New York politics prepares you very well for, <laughs> for Washington. I said it during the speaker's race, like this ain't beanbag. And I and I got right into it defending uh, Speaker McCarthy and and getting out there throwing some punches of my own because, uh, you know, we're well versed in uh, in the bare knuckle brawl, right? And uh, and certainly my my election last year, uh, you know, it had uh, between both sides about twenty five million dollars spent. It was against the chair of the D Triple C uh, in a district Joe Biden won by ten points. We didn't, you know, uh, we didn't win by being weak. No, and, so um, so, you know. so uh, on that as well. You know, I mean, Republicans in 2022 nationally, and, and I think we all expected a huge red wave based on the polling, based on, you know, Joe Biden's approval rating. You look at places like Florida, Iowa, um, New York, you know, huge success. What is it that you guys got right in mm. New York that we didn't get right in the rest of the country? So a few things. Number one, we had good candidates. Uh, that were very uh, message disciplined and focused on the future yeah. and, and the American people. Uh, they weren't uh, revisiting uh, past grievances or, you know, uh, the 2020 election. They were focused on the 2022 election, yeah. uh, number one. Number two, uh, we had a strong top of the ticket in Lee Zeldin, who mm -hmm. ran a, a, a mm -hmm. very credible race uh, against Kathy Hochul and, you know, who did not run a credible race at all. Um, and we had the issues on our side between affordability, cost of living, uh, obviously record inflation, crime. and crime. Yeah. And, and crime, you know, in my district in particular, I'm the immediate suburbs of New York City. You know, so everybody every day was seeing what was going on in New York City. We saw a rise in crime in our communities, uh, and people were frustrated. And 50% of my households, in my district have a cop, a firefighter, or a veteran living in it. Wow. So that, you know, people were very impacted by what was going on in New York City, uh, and they wanted they wanted change. They wanted common sense. Uh, I believe we offered that. I certainly did uh, in, in my campaign and in my district uh, versus a guy who was totally disconnected, uh, you know, with the district. He only represented a quarter of it previously. Uh, didn't really know anybody in Rockland County where yeah. I'm from mm -hmm. uh, and was focused on gallivanting around the globe going to Paris, <laughs> London, and Geneva right. to right. go raise money. As one does when you're a uh, fancy <laughs> Well, now he can thank me because he's going to be the ambassador to the OECD in Paris. So he gets to live there. Probably. <laughs> think he'll send you a thank you note? <laughs> Doubt there's, it. But, but it was definitely worth it. There's, there's nothing more impressive than the way people are able to fail their way up the line. And it's Democrat incredible. politics. It's amazing. <laughs> there is no failure. It's like, well, you did a terrible job at the D trip and you lost. Why don't we make you an ambassador? <laughs> Congratulations, you're a but, fail son. Yeah. The other thing I would say is, you know, on the issue of abortion, um, you know, that definitely impacted us in uh, certain states, Michigan, uh, for instance. Um, and we were i was the first congressional campaign to send out a mailer on it and i was very clear uh that i would not support a federal ban and that i do believe in exceptions for rape incest in the life of the mother 
and I went after Maloney on his support for late-term abortion, mm-hmm. gender selection for abortion, mm-hmm. against parental consent uh, and notification. Um, so you define the issue, right? Correct. That's in, the in, right in, in a way that people right in a way that people could understand it. And, and understand what my position was. Right. And we did a mailer. I did a direct-to-camera spot mm-hmm. uh, that we, we targeted uh, to uh, pro-choice women. And then I did an op-ed in the local paper. I appreciate that so much just because I feel like we've talked about this on the show, is that so many Republicans, and I don't care really where you are on the spectrum of uh, of this issue, but you ha- you can't let the left define the terms yeah. of this debate. You got to play offense. And that's I mean, the thing is when you say exactly where you stand right off the bat, because you know people this, respect you more. And, and, and the left is always going to try if they have the opportunity to be like, this is an extremist. Right. This is a dangerous individual. Right. Late term abortion is extreme. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, well, that's the thing. It's and that their was position thing in New York. Control in New York. It was set. It was. It was already law. Yeah. Um. You know, it had been law for for several years. Um. And uh, I don't think voters were concerned uh, that the law would be changed in New York, whereas in other states, um, yeah, you know, especially swing states, uh, it, it was an open question, and I think that certainly hurt us. Uh, in some of these races, in addition to just having, you know, some crummy candidates on top of the ballot. Yeah. So now that you're in Congress, uh, you've been fairly or unfairly targeted as a reasonable individual. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) And uh, I'm sure you were surprised to find out amongst the only trips that this president was taking was supposedly to your district. Talk about the debt ceiling, amongst other things. Uh, How'd that go? Uh, not well for them. <laughs> um, you know, look, it, it, he uh, was coming to my district, according to Karine Jean-Pierre, to to talk about, um, you know, the debt ceiling and extreme uh, MAGA Republicans who are holding our economony hostage. And which, of which of which she was inferring. They were uh, not inferring on their social media accounts. They were targeting me as one of these, you know, radicals. You were in, you were in one of their graphics. I was. And, on, on their veteran. Yeah. On, on the alleged, quote unquote, cuts to veterans, which are not true. Yeah. And and we're never part of uh, the, you know, Limit, Save, and Grow Act. Um, I can't but, believe I can't. You mean to tell me that Corrine Jean-Pierre didn't have her facts straight? <laughs> I am shocked. That is so, outrageous. So they reached out. The White House reached out to us to let us know that they would be coming, you know, to the Hudson Valley and it would likely be in my district. And so I said, oh, OK, will will I be invited if the. If it is such a strong and they and they were like, uh, we're not sure we'll get back to you on that. They did not anticipate um, that. No, no, they definitely did not anticipate the uh, the response. And so when they finally confirmed the location, Westchester Community College, which, by the way, is not actually in my district. It's in Jamal (laughs) Bowman's district. So that's some bad advance work there. (laughs) But um, when they when they did. But the front entrance is like right on the dividing line of our district <laughs> so when when they did uh call back to confirm you know that that uh where it would be they said you know you are officially invited and so i said great look forward to being there i'll see you there and um so you know when uh they're like but you you know it's going to be about the debt ceiling and you know republicans uh stance on it i said yep look forward to being there fully anticipated <laughs> and, yeah and so when they uh you know uh the day of they they reached out and they said uh, you know the president would like to meet with you privately i said okay look forward to it um and so you know they put me in a holding room i was waiting there and uh 
about a half hour later he came and uh you know we took a picture and they said okay come with me you know we'll uh, we'll go to a private room i said okay so we actually had a very frank and, and direct conversation it was very cordial um and i took the opportunity and you know he said look i'm not looking to put pressure on you or embarrass you i'm not gonna say well, of course not because you fly across the, you. <laughs> to yeah. go to your district just to you know just to say hi yeah yeah and uh so i said no i i appreciate that i said um you know but uh, obviously, I, I, I'd like to take the opportunity to just raise two points with you while I have you. And uh, he said, okay. And so I said, you know, look, I've had three parameters throughout this debt ceiling negotiation. Number one, you need to negotiate with Speaker McCarthy. Number two, we need to cut spending. And number three, we cannot default. Yeah. Those are my parameters. Very and, reasonable. And, um, you know, I really just encourage you to negotiate with Speaker McCarthy so that we can raise the debt ceiling, avoid default, and get our country back on the right fiscal path. And then I said, look, and with respect to the, the migrant crisis impacting uh, the country and New York, you know, New York City has taken in 60,000 migrants since last year. They can't handle it. They're now trying to shift them into my district and, and communities right. in the mm-hmm. Hudson Valley. This is unsustainable. We need to secure the border. Yeah. We're passing H.R. 2, you know, tomorrow. I really encourage you to work with the speaker to help secure our border because this is crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he acknowledged, obviously, the, the challenges we're dealing with at the border. Um, but, uh, you know, did he was, stay awake the whole time? He, he did. He did. <laughs> was it between 10 and four? Because we're told that if it's between 10 and four, he's still he's still in good shape. He did. He was uh, he was uh, very with it. We had a we had a good conversation. And, um, you know, he look, he said uh, he brought up. Uh, obviously, uh, the need for more personnel at the border. And I said, I agree. That's why. That's why we're passing HR yeah. two. You know, and and we need to we need to deal with that. And you know, I, we ended the conversation. I said to him, Well, you know, I appreciate you coming. The only thing I'm disappointed about is I didn't get a ride up on Air Force. Been nice. I had to fly commercial to come back. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is something very interesting. I think the you know, I think they're kind of phoning it in at this point. They're sort of lack imagination because you know Joe Biden's not going to the border right now, right? You know, uh, but he'll he'll go to your district. Right to basically announce to the American people that uh, we should do nothing. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. On the debt ceiling, um, I'm out here to tell you nothing. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> nothing. Don't do anything. No, it's true. So, did you have to sit through? You just had to sit through the whole program, which I imagine is not exactly. I, I did. I had a great poker face. <laughs> I did the golf clap when need be. <laughs> did you get a chance to talk to Corrine Jean while you were there? Well, I did uh, on the on the way out after after the president during his remarks, you know, introduced me and he said, "Oh, I want to welcome Congressman Mike Lawler. He's here. He's, you know, he's one of these Republicans that I could work with when I was in Congress. He's not one of this these extreme extremists." Uh, you know, which we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, not going to say anything nice about him. Don't want him to get him in trouble. So I uh, after afterwards, I, I walked out and I was walking down the hall and in the back, uh, Anita Dunn and Corinne Jean-Pierre were there. And I just popped my head in and said, hey, guys, thanks. Thanks for having me. This was great. Really appreciate it. <laughs> they, they laughed and smiled. And, and then I said to Corinne, I said, and just remember what the president said, not an extremist. <laughs> like, that's going to be great for the reelection ads. because. <laughs> 
<laughs> MAGA extremist Mike Lawler is not really going to work. Bro, <laughs> Sean, Sean, Sean Maloney's whole campaign last year was MAGA Mike, MAGA Mike, MAGA I Mike. I hate to tell you they're going to say it all again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got a pretty, will, good, pretty good response this time. But, but, yeah, yeah. But Joe Joe Biden disputes it. So, yes. yeah. you know, as I said to, you know, to some of the press, uh, I hope the White House social media accounts and uh, press office uh, better reflects the president's thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I mean, if you look across the country, you look at the makeup of the House of Representatives, you're dealing with, uh, you know, a pretty big split, right? I mean, there's not a lot of people who are in legitimate swing districts like yourself who've won a Biden plus 10 district, right? And, and in some ways, our party, uh, if you flash forward 10 years, flash back 10 years, we sort of own that suburban electorate in terms of messaging, in terms of resonance within the party. And it has been lost entirely. One of the reasons why we've come up in the short end of the stick in presidential elections in the Senate and everything else. But we saw it again in the House with a whole bunch of people in very similar districts to you not coming all that close. Or if they did, certainly shorter than you did. You won it. Now, granted, I think a big part of that, and we talked a lot about this on the show, is good candidates, as you mentioned. There's also some messaging involved with that, right? Don't you think there are some lessons that Republicans should take from not only your election, which was now eight months ago, but how you're serving your district? No question. Uh, look, you have to focus in on issues that cut across party lines. Uh, the suburbs across the country have changed uh, demographically. Uh, they've changed in terms of, uh, obviously, uh, politically. Uh, and so, you know, you have to look at it from the standpoint of what issues cut across party lines. Affordability, public safety, housing, education, health care. That's what people want somebody who's focused in on substance and, and how you're going to address these challenges. And that's what I what I focused my campaign on. That's where I stayed. Uh, and it seemed like you message. had blinders on all of the bullshit, candidly, totally. that everybody in the national level deals with on a day to day basis. You just didn't touch it. No, because it, it what what extra votes is it getting you? Doesn't, you know, I mean, yeah. to me, 50 plus one is the name of the game. You know, Pyrrhic victories don't matter right. uh, in politics. And so. Uh, you have to you have to focus in on how to build that. And look, my district, uh, 70,000 more Democrats than Republicans, uh, but it's got a large Orthodox Jewish community. It's got a large Haitian community. It's got a large Irish community. Uh, my staff is reflective of that. I have a Haitian, uh, half Haitian, half Indian Creole speaking uh, staffer. I have a, a Orthodox uh, Yiddish-speaking staffer. I have, uh, you know, Spanish-speaking staffers. You didn't hire any Irish, did you? That would have been a <laughs> grave mistake. I, I'm half Irish. <laughs> <laughs> but that's but it's imp it's important. So are we. So <laughs> it's it's important to make sure that, especially in these uh, swing districts, that you that you're reflective of them and that you're you're addressing the needs and the concerns of your constituents. And so, on the work that I'm doing on foreign affairs. You know, I've introduced a, a bill on the Abraham Accords to create a special envoy. Uh, you know, we're doing work on, on Northern Ireland. So, like, we're doing work on Haiti. So there's a lot of uh, opportunity, I yeah. think, um, to focus in on substantive policy that impacts the district in a positive way. And people see that, and they, and they appreciate it. And so I think for, 
you know, the party going forward. Candidate recruitment matters. You need to have candidates who are from the district, who know the <laughs> district, who know the people there. Yeah. Just showing up and saying, oh, I'm running for Congress because this seems like a good area. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we've seen how that works. It doesn't work well. We have. You know, uh, crude d'etat is not a, a winning uh, strategy, you know. So um, we, we, we need to actually have folks who are reflective of the communities in which they're seeking to serve Mm -hmm. and have those relationships. I ran in a district that I've lived in my whole life that I had worked in. I worked in the Westchester County Executive's Office. I helped elect the sheriff and the county executive in Putnam County. I had done work in Dutchess County. I was the executive director of the state Republican Party. Yeah, you a, weren't meeting these people for the first time. No, I was the town Republican chair, the deputy town supervisor in the town of Orangetown. Like, I knew all of the elected officials on a personal level. Yeah. Sean Maloney didn't know who any of these people were. Mm. Right. Um, so that makes a big difference. And when you cared. No, and I care about the, about my district yeah. and about the issues. And, I mean, I listen, I had Democrat elected officials supporting me because some quietly, some openly, because – they knew me. Yeah. They knew me as a as an individual and as somebody who they can work with. Yeah, that, I mean, look, that's the most underrated part of politics, and it's gone by the wayside now that everything has become nationalized. Every everything's become sort of celebritized in, in everything. When you look at core politics and how you win a Biden plus ten district, what you just described is the only way you do it. Ground up. That's the thing. Is I think a lot of the failures we tend to have is you'll get a celebrity who wants to run. For office, yeah. who has no ties to, to to the district or the state that they're running in, and so they don't have these relationships. They don't have the reputation that you build and build and build until the point that you get to Congress because of all the work you've already put in. In in order to take a leap as a voter, you need to believe that this person is in it for the right reasons. You can trust them, and you have the opportunity to talk to them if you disagree with them. Right. And those three things just came through like Technicolor in your entire campaign. It was like you're eminently approachable on all the stuff you may disagree with them about, which I think stood in huge contrast to a whole bunch that we were running in 2022. No, no question. And look, I was doing six, seven, eight events a day. Yeah, right. I was crisscrossing the entire district. I went into communities that in the end didn't vote for me, but you know what? We made progress. And, and they might next time. And they may next time yeah. because we're still going there. We're doing office hours in every district, you know, uh, sending my staff in with me. And we're and we're going to the town hall or the village hall and uh, meeting with constituents. Uh, you know, we, we show up at, at every uh, street fair, ethnic event, because the objective to me is I, I represent them i'm their voice in washington they're not going to agree with everything i do i'm not going to agree with everything they ask me uh, to do but uh you have to have that dialogue and that exchange and people appreciate that they really do appreciate it that's boiled down and, and simplistic but it is absolutely the only way to get through this and i gotta tell you republicans are very wise to take your advice in 2024 going forward because we have the opportunity to pick up a whole bunch of districts we left on the table but it's got to be stuff like that and a lot of them a lot of them are less than biden plus 10 lots you incredible you you overperform the national environment by seven points (laughs) for the love of god listener (laughs) if you're listening to this find more people like this man (laughs) and support them for congress Look, you, you you go back to 2010 and 2012 when we lost these Senate races that we should have won. Yeah. 
you look at some of these statewide. I remember them. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. When you when you look at some of these, uh, you know, governors' races and Senate races this year that we should have won, it came down to two things: really bad candidates and really bad messaging. Yeah. And in each race that we lose, that is often what it comes down to. Yeah. It you know why is it that there are Democrat senators in these deep red states you don't have many republican senators in deep blue states Mm -hmm. um you know but voters are willing to vote for somebody else if your message is that bad yeah and so you you have to really uh i think focus in on the issues that matter to people uh at the end of the day not not the talking points not the bullshit Yep. Uh, not, not uh, oh, you know, the election was stolen. No, you fucking lost. How about that? <laughs> it seems pretty simple. You know, <laughs> right. I, I mean. And we're moving on. Like, move on yeah. and focus on the future. Now, if there's things that need to change in our election law, if there's stuff we need to look at, great. Yeah. Do it. Don't yeah. keep talking about it. Do it. Yeah. You know. What and, a breath of fresh air, Lawler. I mean, this is this is terrific. Listen, if for all of our audience who's looking for a place to follow up and, and, and stay in touch with you, support your campaigns, where do they do that? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, certainly ask everybody to go to LawlerForCongress.com. LawlerForCongress.com. We're going to have one of the, the toughest races in the country. Uh, yep. Obviously, the president came there to target us. And, For a reason. <laughs> until he undermined the message. But <laughs> but still, you know, uh, they're, they're obviously coming. Uh, and, you know, uh, Hakeem Jeffries and the D-Trip uh, have announced, you know, a $45 million investment into New York and California and Oregon. Uh, to try and win back these seats that they lost. There's no place that Democrats like to spend more money than New York and California. Absolutely. And whether yes. it's your tax dollars or their campaign, <laughs> that's where it's going. No question. So, you know, any any support anybody can offer, you know, now and, and in the future is greatly appreciated. That's awesome. Listen, Mike Lawler, one of the really, really good freshman congressmen. I hope you're around forever. Your perspective is terrific. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Man, New York is very lucky to have a guy like him. Yeah. And it, what a change of pace from the guy he beat. Biden plus 10 district. Dude knows how to win. And and he beat the head of the D trip. I mean, like, yeah, that, that's David beating Goliath. And it's 100% like he said, it can be attributed to you put in the hard work. Yeah. And also years just and a, years. a serious person gets serious results, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's a serious guy. And, you know, too often I think we rely on just sort of the headline makers and – we overvalue that here's a guy who just puts in the work yeah and he knows his constituents he knows what they want he goes to battle for them every day that's how you build majority i love the the story about him pigeonholing the biden folks on the event on the desk yeah. <laughs> you imagine how bad they hated that oh it's amazing oh <laughs> uh, well i think we did it fellas i think so absolute banger of an episode if i may say so myself Thank you so much to Rep Balderson. Thank you so much to Mike Lawler for joining us on the show. And thank you so much to our listeners. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.